Um, all right, so, and we're back, and uh, this week we are the Forbidden Dave, as we are joined by the very special guest um, this evening. We are joined by Dave Musgrave. Dave, how are you doing tonight? I am doing fantastic. Living on vacation, managing to redirect the smoke into the southern U.S. Everything is good up here in Canada. <laughs> Perfect, perfect. Meanwhile, I'm sitting here and I uh, made the number one cardinal mistake when it comes to me, which is left like a little piece of plastic that came from some kind of container on my desk, which I'm going to, of course, constantly inadvertently fidget with because that's just the way I am. Um, but as always, we have the co-host here, Quentin. Quentin, how you doing tonight? I'm good. Just inhaling all the smoke from Canada. Uh, only thing interesting interesting for me here is I guess I'm technically on vacation because school is not what? in right now, so I'm technically on vacation, and um, I got my first manicure ever, like last okay. week, so, and it's an attempt to like not bite my nails anymore, and I figure that if I spend money on my nails, I'll be less inclined to want to bite them, and so far it's working, but uh, not just not a ton going on other than uh people getting dropped on their heads and uh yeah people getting people being mad about it yeah well now that you said that i mean we should have this episode should have been called billy holiday because we're all on vacation i mean what the hell i did not realize that uh <laughs> my vacation's kind of just starting so um but uh but yeah did not did not expect that um i guess i guess i did i guess i kind of knew that about you quentin but as you said i didn't really think about it that way um, and Dave didn't expect it. And, uh, and yeah, yes. I'm right. I'm I'll just vote in the middle. I'm off next week as well. Yeah, I'm uh, yeah, I'm off next week as well. Um, and kind of just starting early, basically this week, I, I kind of just dropped off a couple days. So technically I work today, but now I'm off. So anyways, um, I don't have anything exciting with the smoke. I don't think, unfortunately, I'm not involved in that. Um, we're having Dave on because you were there at Forbidden Door Live. That's the main thing. Uh, set this up a long time ago. And I mentioned before we started, like, oh, messed up the times. My brain's out of it. I also messed up uh, scheduling guests. <laughs> I don't know. You don't know this, Dave, because I didn't tell you. Um, but I was scheduling a guest and I asked them to do the ROH show that's going to be next month. And then I thought, like, oh, that's weird. Why did I do that when I could have had them on for this show? Uh, whatever. You know, I guess in the back of my mind, I remembered I scheduled it with you. And uh, then a couple of weeks ago, or maybe a week or two ago, I asked uh, John Carroll to be on. And the, uh, they said yes. And luckily it worked out because I was like, hey, sorry, I completely forgot. Because Dave, when you messaged me, that was when I remembered. Um, and I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I forgot this. Um, 
But unfortunately, John is still stuck in Canada right now. So it would not have worked out anyways for us to record. So um, it ended and, up working and, out. And Canada Canada is not his normal locale? No, uh, John, um, they live in New York. And I, I believe, or at least that was the last time I knew. And uh, they went up there for the Forbidden Door show and got stuck. And now uh, are still stuck there until Friday, um, is what they said. So, yeah, <laughs> that would not have worked oh, out. So, Dave, I, Dave, I was in Toronto that's today. I, I could have, I could have helped them out at least, gotten yeah, them some Starbucks. But... <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, I don't know if I can help it anyway. And then now at this point, it's like you're supposed to go back on Monday, and now you're not going to go till Friday. You could have just rented a car and uh, probably driven home by now. But uh, you know, that's life. Um, so yeah, so Dave, that's why I said I uh, just completely out of it because I'm just like mixing up my times, mixing up everything, forgetting about people. And I need to, you know what I always say? I need to take notes and do a calendar and all that stuff. And I just, I forget to do that and hence needing to do it, right? I need to do it because I forget everything, but I forget to do the thing that I will help me when I forget. Either way. Um, well, Dave, you mentioned that you're just finished your greatest match ever. Quentin, do you think do you do you have you said you were interested in talking about it a little bit? Do you want to do that now, or you want to try to go through the show and see how much time we have afterwards? Uh, sure, well, I think we can get out of the way now. We're going to talk about it, talk okay. about it a bit now. Um, sure, sure, go for it. So I'm pretty sure because this has always been a Stephen thing that Stephen was the one that was heading like the greatest match ever project, right? Yeah, yeah, they started it up for sure. Okay, so I. I've always been. I can. I've always had a, a, a better time like ranking like artists, wrestlers, bands, like things like that. Like I can do stuff like that, but I can't. Like if you ask me to rank like the best songs ever, that'd be like a hard thing for me to do. Like I can do like best albums, but I can't do best song. And I can do like GWE. I can participate in GWE and feel comfortable doing that but something about like the greatest match ever intimidates me so dave is someone to like uh fill uh, that was part of that process and made a list and turned in a ballot like what was that process like for you and what are the differences for you between doing like greatest wrestler ever versus doing greatest match ever it's really interesting actually because i find myself kind of oriented the other way i find this less intimidating than gwe so I did do a GWE ballot last time, but uh, this is my first time doing a GME ballot. And what I what I did is uh, I started with piling a list of what seemed to be the uh, best candidates for it uh, from from the uh, from the message board that there is. The problem is when I do these things, I get a little obsessive. Uh, as when I say a little, I mean a lot. Uh, I'm about to probably blow your mind when I tell you how long that list ended up being. Um, take a ballpark guess, both of you. Uh, uh, oh, um, let me say 4,000. I was gonna say 500. I was gonna say 500. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm trying to go overboard. <laughs> well, no, it's kind of in the middle. It's one thousand seven hundred and forty. Yeah, okay. a lot. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> That's and insane. it's still something I plan to use and like pick away at it. But what I, so what I would do is I pick out some greatest hits that I wanted and then I'd go at some Bob Backlund deep dive right, right now. I want to really, you know, try and now that the it's over and I can kind of focus a little differently. I want to go through as much Mayumi Ozaki as I can. Uh, but what I did is I ended up towards the end uh, the message board has a combined list for everything that's had the, mo- the top 100 combined votes between the three polls that have happened already. And I tried to watch as many of that 100 as I could. And I almost got there. I just kind of fell off the past few days and being able to get all of them. But I've managed to watch 270 matches what I've done is I've ranked them. I've done a list for every year and I have comments on each one of them. And then I will rank where it lands in that year. And then that helps me say, okay, I have these two benchmarks of what's on either side of it and put it in the list and see, and then find it, try to find it somewhere in between. I don't know if that's easy to follow at all, but uh, I do find it helps me kind of focus in and zero in on where I want to land something. So uh, I did, like I say, what managed to watch 270. And it was really important to me to try to form my own opinion as much as possible. Um, and I'm really happy with where my list ended up, other than I do find there's some gaps. I am a huge fan of Prime Ring of Honor, and I didn't really get to a lot of that. Uh, I didn't get to enough 90s Tenru, uh, or really any. And that's something I really want to check out. Uh, some modern Joshi, I feel, is lacking from my list. I want to get to that. Uh, World of Sport is something I haven't dived into. But I did do some French catch. I did do some 70s and 60s stuff. Uh, and there's some stuff that I'm really not, you know, I just think it speaks to the depth of the volume, the depth of the footage that's out there. Like one match, I don't know if you guys have heard of it, from 1963 is Golden Moose Cholak versus Larry Sheen and from Chicago. And it's just fantastic. When I watched it, I put it up at the top of my list, and now it's at 103. So it's uh, it's probably the most fun I've ever had watching wrestling, in all honesty, doing this project. So did you have, um, like, I, like, I know, like, if the way, I, the way that I think of this is that I think that there's probably four or five matches off the top of my head that I would consider for number one. So did you have a match that was your working number one to start or was it just sort of a completely open slate for you once you got into it? Uh, Somewhere in between. I figured uh, Kira Hokuto versus Shinobu Kandori from April 2nd, 93 would be a candidate. I've actually got that at number 10. And I figured uh, Kobashi versus Hansen from July 29th, 93 would be a candidate. I've got that at number five. Uh, there is at least my number one is one I had never watched until yesterday. And that's uh, Kobashi versus Misawa, January 20th, 97. So I really, you know, and like the War Games 92, I hadn't watched in a long time. And I've got that uh, number six. So... I guess, and another one that would probably be possibly the top of, if it was purely a favorites list, one that would possibly be at the top is Kerry Von Erich versus Jumbo Saruta. And I've got that at number seven. So I, 
I get really excited every time I put something at number one and uh, that happened a fair amount of times. And I really, I really had quite a few things get bumped out. So uh, obviously everyone expects that six, nine 95 is going to be a big candidate for, for themselves. And I do have that at number two, but you know, uh, yeah, I try to keep it wide open. But like, Another thing for me is like, how does this factor in eventually to assume, assuming you're participating in GWE again in 2026? Is, yes, I will. Are you going to be looking at who were the frequent appearers on this greatest match ever ballot? Because I, like, I'm not sure if you uh, have have uh, have ready who appeared the most on your list, but that would be a thing to me that I feel like would be a really good resource when you're starting to craft. Of the new version of your 2026 GWE list is who is the person that appeared the most on, on my greatest match list and how many points do I give them for that? Yeah, that's definitely a way I'd want to do it. And one of the big thing qualifiers of that is that I plan on this list being very fluid. They do the GM every two years and I want to, uh, I'm going to continually, like one of my goals is to drive myself bonkers in the next month with all the stuff I didn't get to. And that I then repopulate my list with. <laughs> so it's going to be a constantly fluid list. But yeah, I would definitely want to uh, populate it that way. Like I say, I, I want to go through and watch a lot of Mayumi Ozaki because uh, her stuff, I've never seen anything I didn't like from her. And I've barely seen enough to really be able to say I'm an expert. So did you, uh, did, I don't think, I'm not sure if you remember, do you, was, I don't think I remember hearing Ozaki on your list back in 2016. Uh, yeah, I wasn't very familiar with her at the time. I'd watched the three. I, you know, I'm not sure if I'd actually watched the the trilogy of matches with her and yeah. Kanzai against uh, uh, Yamada and Toyota. So, uh, but when I did watch them, I thought this is one of the coolest wrestlers ever. Uh, so, yeah, I, I love I love hearing that because Ozaki's one of my like fa- favorite uh, favorite wrestlers ever, and she was on my 2016 list, and like. I want to keep finding ways to justify her being higher than where I had her at before. So you mm-hmm. turning into big, turning into a big Ozaki fan that makes me happy. Yeah, no, I, I'm thrilled to hear that you're a fan of her too. There's really something you can't quite put your finger on what makes her such a great heel, but she's just got it, you know. And I've never seen any of her singles matches with Dynamite Kansai, so that's like the stuff I just want to go completely through. Let's share a list with each other that we, if we can get one together. Oh yeah, gotcha. Have you ever seen her versus um, uh, Chigusa Nagayo? No, I've basically seen the trilogy and a few other matches, and I'm like, now that I'm through my GME list, I want to go. Uh, I'm trying not to say deep dive because it sounds like some kind of entendre. But uh, I'm trying. I want to. I want to do a deep examination of her career. Yeah, I can. Def- I can definitely help with that. I know some people that can help with that too. So look, any, any, awesome. yeah, any uh, new pledges to the Mayumi Ozaki fan club? I think uh, are very welcome here. <laughs> that's great. And uh, stuff that's most recent that I would have put on my list. I, I was a big fan of last year's Anarchy in the, Anarchy in the Arena. I like this year's as well, but it didn't make my top 100. Um, and I was a big fan of, uh, MJF versus, uh, Danielson. Did you have anything, yeah, did you, uh, did you have anything as re- as recent? Well, well, yeah, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. What's the most 
recent match, I guess, in terms of like happening or uh, when it took place that made that made it that made it onto your list? Would it have been the Anarchy in the Arena? Uh, no, it would be Danielson versus MJF. Okay, Danielson MJF. All right, got it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, it's I'm not sure what was more fun watching new stuff or watching stuff I'd seen before and like with new eyes because I found this really helped like uh develop my palate for watching what a great match is. And I, I think I was pretty good already, but this really helped develop it. I mean, it, it can't help it but do that for anybody, I think, unless you're have really watched way too much wrestling in your life. Which yeah. I have. <laughs> yeah, all of, all of us here have just watched way too much wrestling at this point. I'm, I'm thinking that, like, the way in which you sound, like, super excited about this makes me want to try the next time this the next time this happens. And you mentioned that this is a thing that happens every two years. So there yes. might be a thing that, like, I try my best with and see how I see how I deal with the process, but because like that just has always been an intimidating thing for me. But it, but it's, it, it seems like a really good way to just kind of like get back into doing like project based stuff, which I just haven't done in a long time. So that'd be that'd be a good way to get back into what I think. Yeah, for sure, and it, it's a good way to keep track of your match of the year for this year. Uh, it's a good way to keep track of you know stuff for GWE and. Uh, yeah, I don't know that it's a productive way to spend your life outside of wrestling obsession, but I mean, that's really what matters to all of us. Well, yeah, that's the, that's the most important thing here. <laughs> uh, Tim, do you Tim, do you have anything? Um, you know, <laughs> no, I feel I feel so out of it just because my brain doesn't work this way. Quentin, we've talked about it over the years. It's just mm. so it's so hard for me to do something. The idea of a greatest match ever list just seems impossible for me because I just don't. I don't know why, but I just don't, I don't remember matches that way. Like certain things, you know, of course, certain things stick out, but yeah, I'd have to, I'd, I would have to do so much rewatching footage and things like that to really get to it. And like, yeah, when people start listing like uh, all Japan dates or just dates in general, I never can remember them. I don't know. Oh yeah. The people that like that can yeah. list like all like Japan chat. dates on the top of their head. It's like, uh-huh. I can do a couple of them. Like I could do like maybe like three. But yeah. the people that could do all Japan things off the top of their heads are like, I don't know how your brain works like this. Yeah, it just it just doesn't do it for me. I, that's why, like you know, we always did the wrestler list. Rather, you know, just I'm better at remembering that kind of, and I can remember the performances and all that stuff. But I don't remember. I just don't think that way. So <laughs> it's all it's definitely very interesting. Um, and you know, I I like to I'll like to check out the list and then go and look at some matches that I haven't heard of. Once it's out, basically, I'll I'll pour over the data. But uh, but otherwise, yeah, I mean, I don't have a ton a ton else. What it sounds uh, what's really what's really fascinating too is to look at the other list, the stuff that didn't make the top one hundred final list. Like uh, you'll hear, learn about wrestlers you never heard of, like oh, or that I never heard of. For example, I, do you guys know of a Joshi, fairly modern Joshi wrestler called the Bloody? I've heard of the bloody, yes. Yeah. So, Stephen, uh, they are a big fan of the bloody, and uh, I haven't checked out any of the matches yet, but from hearing Stephen talk about uh, the bloody, I definitely want to. So. Yeah. Honestly, like the way, the, the mode in which you're in right now, probably seems like you're just open to like a bunch of different like yeah. recommendations. So, honestly, like I might just start thinking about other stuff to see like what you would be into and like and. Like if you were like covering the different these different blind spots, like I don't know, like how much you had seen of like 
late twenty to like late twenty tens Europe or whatever. Like late twenty to late twenty ten, which like late 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 twenty tens Europe. So like the Rev Pros, Progresses, WXWs, um, uh, Fight Club. Oh Pro- yeah, very little, very yeah, little. I don't, I don't know much of, like how much of that stuff you've you, you've seen before. Yeah, very little. Um, and I'd like to I'd like to watch more of it. I'd like to see some early early uh, Walter stuff for sure too. Oh yeah, Walter's well, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. yeah, Walter's a really good one. Walter's a, well, yeah, a, Walter's a really good one. Which one, Walter? Of- Oh, no. No, I was saying like Walter, like Walter in general is a really is a really good guy to go back in a MD and deep dive on because like so he's gonna make my top one hundred uh, for the next seven, sure for the next WWE like very like very comfortably, and I could have him like realistically I could have him as high as like in like my top like fifty five probably I, I I think that highly of him so off the top of my head like I would definitely be curious to see what you think of stuff like. Walter versus El Generico or Walter versus Sammy Callahan. Mm-hmm. Um, how about the early Takimoto matches? They they stand up pretty well. Yeah, they stand, yeah they they stand they stand up well and they're always really 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 fun. Still, I just think yeah. that uh, Walter at his best uh, is the type of stuff where he, where he's like this big. He's the power wrestler in the match. Yeah, and for, and for for like this mountain for somebody to for somebody to slay as opposed to like yeah. a big like monster fight. Hoss battle. Yeah. So like you're getting like Jordan Dev- like Jordan Devlin versus Walter or Zach or Zach Saber Jr. versus Walter, Sammy Cal. Yeah, I've seen some of that stuff. Stuff like stuff like and that. I was actually I was actually asked what I believe is the most recent Sekimoto match. I was actually at that in person, which was pretty awesome. Oh yeah, and, that's uh, really fun. And and actually like I saw him uh, I think probably about ten matches for this span of a week of a few days, and like uh, there was they had the uh, what are the what are the WXW matches the shows that are shoot style the tournaments ambition ambition yeah. right yeah so yeah. they had him against uh, him against Daniel Garcia in the first round before people knew who Daniel Garcia was so that was 2019 so he was like 20. And then he was against Mike Bailey in the second round, or might might have been the other way around. But either way, both matches were great. I actually went on uh, Alan uh, Cunahan's podcast, and I compared it to I don't know if you him and him and Mike Bailey is kind of like if you see footage of a great white shark tossing around a seal in the surf. <laughs> that's what it kind of yeah, felt like. Yeah. That's really was good. it? Oh wait, are you talking about Walter? Walter, yeah, with uh, yeah Walter with Bailey and Mike yeah, Bailey. yeah, I remember. I remember that one. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was good. That was yeah, that was really good. Um, but yeah, the the WXW, especially Sakimoto, like Sakimoto stuff. Like um, to me, the the standout stuff because you're mentioning like the Walter matches. I think people talk about that, but like obviously, like to me, the standout match is like the Generico match. That's probably his best match in WXW. Um, so it's okay. like yeah, it's like not even WXW guys. And then um, the there's a three way with Sakimoto, Gresham, and Saber. That's that's like a really good Sakimoto match in WXW. So yeah, it's like it's it's interesting because it's not WXW wrestlers that he had his best showings there. And people I think people do think of Sakimoto Walter stuff. But um that's the stuff about the early Walter WXW is you dig into the footage and there's a ton of things with wrestlers that you've never even heard of from early WXW that stands mm-hmm. out. And I know I know one that like within our scene with me and Quentin that stands out is uh 
Was it Quentin? Was it Hot and Spicy versus Outsiders? Hot and Spicy versus uh, Outsiders. Walter and Robert Dreisker versus um, Alex Dita Jr. and the Mac from like yeah, like some something like like October 2013, which yeah, like yeah. is genuinely probably like my favorite tag match of the 2010s. So yeah. like if, yeah, if I can point you point you in the direction of that and uh, get you an attain get you an attainable way to see that, then I'll send that away for sure. Yeah, and it's great. like Dieter. Everybody else in that match you're not going to know of other than Walter, and and people will know who Dieter is now because he's on WWE TV with Walter. What's his his name? Is he Bartholomew or, or uh, Bartheller? Martin now. Mar- I, I, I forget. I don't. I don't Anyways, know. <laughs> he's he's the other uh, German guy that's in the the group with Walter on WWE now. Neither me or Quentin don't know his name, but people see him on TV now, right? But uh, before you know, then, who does know, know his him. name is Google. Yeah, right. I guess I could Google it. it, 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 it Mar- Mar- is, is it still like Marcel no. something or something else? Marcel, I think Marcel. it's Marcel. Del- Marcel, yeah. Okay. But, yeah. But yeah. there's like, there's really sick stuff, especially with like Callahan and um, and Walter that's like really, really good. You know, it's like, it's like guys like that, as Quentin said, smaller guys, guys who are like, if you got the right kind of baby face to overcome him, that's why the Generico match, uh, or I guess that's Sakimoto, but there is some Generico Walter stuff that's really good too. Where it's yeah, it's like that kind of ba- that kind of baby face. Those are the people who do the best with Walter, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And then Zach, but the Zach and Walter series is like, um, that's a whole different thing because it's just I don't I don't even know how to explain it. It's it's definitely it's an archetype of a kind of a match, but it's just like um. It's kind of jockey. When people say like jock wrestling, right? People like to say dumb jock wrestling and they talk about like uh, Davy Richards. This is more like um, intelligent jock wrestling. This is like wrestling nerd yeah. jock wrestling. That's more what they do. And it's it's a, it's a lot of fun because there's detail to it. It's like these guys are clearly both insanely like knowledgeable and skilled at grappling, but they can't help themselves once they get into it of just like basically trying to to kill each other because they get so pissed off and just so emotional halfway through it devolves into a fight kind of thing um and that's always the fun of of their matches is because they come into it and they're like okay we're going to be respectful we're going to be smart we're just it's not going to be like last time we're just going to have a good clean wrestling match where we're going to prove who's the better man and then by the end of it it's like no fuck you calling each other like you know how many different names and bringing up people's mothers and stuff like it just turns into an absolute out of control fight by the end and that's, the, I mean, to me, like that's the best Walter stuff from from early Walter. Yeah, now you're you're making me want to go. I know uh, you're talking about the early Walter there, but now it's making me want to go back and watch Zach, Zach and Walter from uh, from Progress again. Like I just, yeah, this like just making yeah, me right? want to go back and watch all that stuff. That was, I mean, okay, sorry, Dave. That was like the bummer oh, of everyone good. losing losing their mind for the David Star Walter stuff, which was very good at the time, but it was just it was kind of annoying at the time because it was like. God, if you people had seen the Walter Zach feud more, you know what I mean? But by the time people were paying attention to Walter, the Zach Walter thing was kind of more in the rear view and they didn't really go back to it as much anymore. And and it popped up here and there, but they never really got it going. And then obviously got into the Walter Thatcher stuff. And now that's I mean, that's a whole nother story, I, but that's basically everyone's seen that. I, I, I saw them against each other live, actually, at that ambition tournament, which is awesome. Oh, have you ever have you ever seen um? Their first progress match? Probably not. Um, 20, I'm pretty sure that was 2018. That was 20, yeah, 2018. Uh, the beginning of 2018. I'm, I might have gone and checked it back, checked it out, but again, I'd love to, I mean, now that I have an ongoing GME list. 
Okay, yeah, but yeah, you know, I think I'm just gonna wind up making like having some sort of list I send, I send you at some point with stuff to check out because and and I will do the same in return. I, I like finding classic stuff too. All right, yeah. Have uh, you guys seen Garvin's versus Burjo's? Um, no. from Montreal. No, I haven't. But I oh, know. god but damn! I, I, I have seen this a very long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, me and Dylan uh, did a thing with yes, uh, Alan, yes. Alan Farrell and uh, Dean, and those were my contributions. For there's there's like a match that's more almost an angle where uh, the Rougeos, uh no, the Garvins beat up the Rougeos in Montreal on Saint Jean Baptiste Day, which is basically like Quebec Nationalism Day. Oh, man, and it, it was just such a bloody bloody beatdown. And then the yeah. grudge match in return is just unbelievable. Yeah, yeah territory... I remember that angle. It's out of fucking control. Yeah, like uh-huh. territory wrestling is like I've seen a bunch of it, but at the same time, like it's just not the thing that's always interested me the most when I've gone through things. Like I've always just gravitated more like to say like watching like uh like loot like lucha or whatever Japanese Japanese wrestling or even world of sport like territory stuff even though i recognize that there's like a lot of good and really good and great all-time great stuff there just wasn't the easiest for me to get through or pay attention to or be interested in so any any anything like that whether it's like montreal stuff or anywhere else like that would definitely be like stuff that would help a lot because i would say territory is just a little bit of a blind spot for me yeah uh, i'd love to send you some of that stuff there's some interesting interesting ones from toronto as well there's like a uh uh, a friend of mine who has a wrestling playlist newsletter. I'm not sure if you guys are aware of that. I can talk about it offline, <laughs> but uh, oh, yeah. the, the he one of the ones that was featured in there recently because he's going through 1981 right now was uh it was Flair and Dewey Robertson who's the missing link against uh, I can't remember. I think it might have been Piper and Snuka. And it was just it was Flair as a baby face in Toronto. That, just sounds, that sounds insane. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna Google that as we talk to see if I'm right on which match it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um yeah, the little bit of stuff that I've seen from like Quebec uh territory stuff is all fucking all looks pretty interesting. Like super yeah, hot you... crowns. Yeah. Yeah, I'm right. That was the match. Okay. Uh, it's, uh, I'll send you. Uh, I'm going to put together a list for you guys. Yeah, and we'll we'll trade back and forth and try to outdo each other gotcha. in a fun nice. way. <laughs> um, um, yeah, okay. Montreal. Even in the dying days, their stuff was really fun. I really like seeing Dan Crawford there because uh, he kind of do stuff like that in the Maritimes and Stampede and between all Japan crowds, even late. And this is some of this is pre all Japan, so he had a tag team with. Uh, with Tom Zink and with uh, Armand Rougeau, who's the brother of Jacques and Raymond, who didn't make it to WWF, even though he and he looks exactly like Raymond, so it's just a little thinner. But uh, oh, they yeah. had a great match with uh, Sweet Dad Siki and Chuck Sims, who's just a Canadian territory wrestler who you wouldn't know, but Sweet Daddy Siki could still go, and it was pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, nice. I mean, I guess uh, we're not supposed to take that much of a, a detour, but we did. Uh, yeah, it's fun. <laughs> you guys, you guys that was a forbidden door in itself. 
Yeah, <laughs> perfect. You know, I thought about that as we were as this was happening, and it's happening in in Canada and everything that's going on, and and people have repeatedly talked about uh, like stardom involvement and all this and that. Like, I just I really wish that like they pivoted the Forbidden Door into being more of a like kind of like the all together thing in Japan, where like more wrestlers from all over are in the show rather than just. New Japan wrestlers like it would be kind of cool if it turned into something like that but I guess at this point with the business that they're doing with this they might as well stick with this until it needs freshening up and just do the New Japan thing but it's hard to argue with the business model like they'll definitely do well uh, for a return but I I guess the one that I really wanted to see that didn't happen was uh, Hiromu Takahashi and Mike Bailey for the IWGP junior title because Bailey has a win over him and best of the super junior and he's from Canada so yeah, that would have been that would speak I guess speaking of French Canadians, right? Um oh, yeah, that so would have been great. I love Bailey. Yeah. Would have been a fantastic I mean, you're the one who turned us on game with, with Mike Bailey years and years ago. So, you know, of course. Yeah, my goal that, is but... always to find someone new like that too. The closest I've had since was probably Gabriel Kidd. I saw yeah. him in Walk Culture, but I mean that was far from an early discovery, right? <laughs> yeah. Mine uh mine would be Bad Dude Tito, who now is like in New Japan kind of and people talk about him, but the unfortunate thing is that cool. fucking Joe Lanza started talking to him about him like a couple years after me. So then that turned into like now everyone kind of thinks Joe Lanza is the guy who saw him first, but whatever, that's fine. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh either way, um yeah, I, I again the business model works for what it is now, but I just I always I'm always looking for the next step. So I'm like, okay, well once the New Japan thing starts to to you know fall apart they should start bringing in people from other places too either way um uh i one thing i don't know if you guys know tim i might have mentioned it to you at least is forbidden door was the third show i'd seen that day oh oh yeah because they kind of did some shows around it right what else did you yeah they to? did smash and femme fatale had a femme fatale uh had a show uh, so I got to see my buddy Pat LaProud in town uh, promoting Femme Fatale. And it was supposed to be Mercedes Martinez against Masha Slamovich, but Masha's flight got canceled. So they put in Burke Vixen. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with her, but they had a good I'm match. Well aware. Yeah. 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 They yeah. had a very good match. And then uh, Nicole Matthews was on that show. And then okay. had a D5 versus Progress show afterwards. That was quite good, too. Oh, how was that? And I can't, I'm actually kind of shocked that was there. I, you know, I saw the stuff getting posted and I saw I didn't, you know, I didn't like dig too deep in it. But like, I thought that that would just be a Defy show, like, you know, on the on the yeah, West Coast. It was more of a Defy versus Smash show, to be totally honest with you. OK. Um, and that's not a bad thing. Uh, but I sure. mean, uh, they Shaf. Uh, are you guys familiar with Shaf? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the, I, I BMF, the BMF champion. Well, yeah. I'm well aware. Had a fun match with Brian Keith. Uh, Charles Crowley was there and had a really fun match with Gringo Loco. Uh, okay. Spike Trevay faced their team, Artemis Spencer. Then there's four way women's with Vert Vixen, Session Moth Martina, Nicole Matthews, and Allie Catch. And it was really cool because Nicole Matthews' mom was in the crowd and she actually approached one of the guys who was kind of in the same area as me. and uh, you guys, you guys, you guys probably caught enough live wrestling to be familiar with guys wearing title belts where it's obvious that they aren't a championship wrestler. <laughs> yes, uh, people refer to them as belt mutants. I know exactly what you're yeah. talking about. 
Apparently, Nicole Matthews' mother was not familiar with the concept because she actually asked this guy if he was a championship wrestler. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> pretty obvious one to me. <laughs> but, yeah. but she was a sweet lady and uh, was really, really fun to see her in the crowd for her daughter wrestling. So, Yeah, that's kind of neat. And I, you yeah, know, I had no, no idea that uh, Nicole's and then, mom uh, was on the so- Sovereign was there, uh, and then Bollywood boys fit, were supposed to face Matt Cross and Hooventu Guerrero, but Hooventu got held up at customs, so they plugged in Psycho Mike, who's a local. Oh, yeah, I've, uh, I've actually seen a little bit of Psycho Mike. Um, I believe, and I might be wrong here, but I think this is true, or maybe the match ended up getting canceled, but uh, Dan Makabe wrestled Psycho Mike at, on an ambition, I believe. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, I think that's correct. It may have been it was supposed to be it was a match that was booked and didn't end up happening or it did happen. But I do remember that. And I've seen a little bit of him. Um, But yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, really, really solid build. Uh, Yeah. Really great build. Pretty, pretty, really good wrestler and does a lot of comedy stuff. So. Yeah, but if uh, if if I'm if, like I said, if I think if I'm right on this, I believe he he also is a, a decent uh, decent grappler as well. Yes, um, you know what? I actually saw him in a battle arts show at Santino Merrill School. So yeah, yeah, he can he can he can do that stuff and too. He, um, he actually threw out his shoulder in that match. Oh no, <laughs> that's yeah. not good. That's not that, good. actually um, that's something that held him back for a while. There was, oh God, there was a match that you mentioned in there that I was, I was like, oh, I should ask him how that actually was. And now I can't think of uh, which one it was, but uh, that doesn't matter. We can, we can. Yeah, no, I mean, they were both really good shows. Uh, I got to talk to Mercedes Martinez for a minute, uh, a huge fan of hers. Uh, When I met her in 2019, she was the nicest wrestler I'd ever met. Uh, I replaced Matt Seidel on that list. (laughs) And yeah, she's really cool, so. Oh, that was it. Ar- uh, Artemis Spencer and uh, and Spike Trevay. That sounds like yeah, a match that... that could be pretty solid. Yeah, it was it was, it was really solid. Uh, I'd never seen Trevay before, and uh, you know he's got his character stuff down. Yes, uh, really played up the crowd, and it was fun. Uh, Charles uh, Crowley really had the crowd going. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh, so I guess not surprising. Um, yeah. All right. So this is the third wrestling show that you're going to. Oh yeah. Here, there's a ton of Psycho Mike in WXW. Now that I look at, I pulled it up. I'm looking at it. Now I just have to see if I was right about the uh, Dan. But uh, yeah, he wrestled. Uh, he wrestled in WXW a bit, and uh, probably got impacted by the pandemic. Yeah, it was right at that time. Actually, no. You know what? He wrestled all after. Nope. Okay, I figured it out. And the reason why I thought it was canceled or whatever. Dan wrestled Psycho Mike on the PCW shows that for some reason never made tape that were literally like some of the last wrestling shows before the pandemic hit. Um, and then Dan almost got caught, got stuck in Europe. Now I remember this. Now I remember this. Yeah. So I've actually Gordon. never seen this match, but I did go back and look at uh, like watch some Psycho Mike stuff in general. Um, mm-hmm. Either way, that's neither here nor there. Um, Quentin, you know what I'm going to ask. Did you watch any of the pre-show? Uh, absolutely not. Um, you can talk absolutely. about that pre-show while okay. I look for astronauts versus strong BJ. Oh, okay. Is that a more, a recent one? Uh, no, just catch up. I was trying to see if the oh, five okay. of the, the May twenty eighth one was uploaded anywhere. Okay. Uh, don't because I 
but I recently heard someone say that uh, Sakimoto is back after seeming like he's been off his game for a little bit the past couple months. That uh, someone re- reported that he is in fact back. So if there was a recent strong BJ versus astronauts match, I would be interested in seeing it. But uh, may, may I ask way, who who is comprised of the astronauts? Uh, that's Takuya Nomura and Fuminori Abe. Okay. You you um, like I'm not sure if you've seen them, but you'd like you'd like both of them. You would you would like good them, yeah. good yeah I'll, I'll have to check it out. And I haven't seen all right them, so. all right um the the pre show so there's a dark match Tom Lawler versus Serpentico. Um, yeah, we got nobody... the crowd fired up. Uh, it was good. Fun. Oh yeah, you were in the building. <laughs> yeah, yeah Tom, ahead, Lawler, Tom Lawler. Tom uh, Lawler. You know, it it was it was just getting the crowd going. Everyone was really excited to be there. So. Serpentico and his, you know, ribbons got a good pop. Yeah, not a huge give match a shout out anything, to a, a former um, guest of the podcast, Royce Isaacs here. This he seconded uh, Tom Lawler to the ring. Um, I heard someone say Tom Lawler's music. They were excited. Do you? Did you happen to catch what song Tom came out to? Uh well, that feels like about forty matches ago, so I can't remember for sure. Sure, that's very fair. Um, I'm I'm sure it was actually his New Japan music because pe- someone was saying that they like they're like oh Tom's music, but uh, on the Indies the last time I saw Tom he came out to Kiss by a Rose, and I would say by Seal but it was not it's not actually the Seal it's a cover version of it that's like kind of rock it sounds like Evanescence like Kiss from a Rose but uh, yeah I I'd remember that I think yeah that would stick out in your head for sure so he probably came out to his New Japan music um follow that up eight man tag. Mogul Embassy versus uh Chaos team here. Um I've I've decided that uh, the Gates of Agony when they're teaming with Brian Cage should be called the Gates of Backney. Um <laughs> Chaos uh, I mean Chaos and El Desperado team like obviously looked good. This was kind of this was an interesting one. I mean, it's a it's a ton of talent that feels like it's like why are they just getting stuck on this like random nothing match on the pre-show but at the same time like (laughs) the last thing the main show needed was more matches so exactly the main show kind of helped from losing a match if we're being perfectly honest with the cole versus lawler match not being on there um but yeah it just it just goes into like god this is why this is why the territories were such a better time in wrestling and you and you hate to say that you know because like um well, I guess there's no reason really why why I hate to say that other than just feeling like an old time curmudgeon or whatever. But so many more wrestlers were able to make a living and had so many more spots and could like cycle in and out and do all this other stuff and like didn't need to be all signed to like one of one of two major like conglomerate companies here that have everyone signed. But it's just it's kind of obnoxious the amount of talent that they really have. Um yeah in a match like this, it's just not getting any use. Even like I said, even like the rest of the mobile embassy guys, like the gates of agony, you know, Brian cage, love him or hate him, whatever. But like the eights of agony and sort of Strickland, like these, all, all three of those guys deserve better than this. And you could say the same thing for the chaos team as well. Um, but yeah, Desperado was fun to see live for sure. For sure. I can definitely agree with that. Um, Athena, Billy Starks. Um, and, and just to note, Trent Beretta did a really good dive off the, from the turn from the to the floor if i recall so. yes trent is i love trent uh always have always will i think he's dumb as hell obviously he's got he's got some kind of brain damage that makes him not so smart and he tweets stuff about like bitcoin and other weird red like red pill bullshit but whatever um 
at least he's not Val Venus, I guess. I'll give him the credit for that. But yeah, I can definitely see being excited about El Desperado. I mean, God, he's uh, he's just so great. I mean, really, like probably yeah. would have ended up in my top 10 wrestlers of the year for last year. Looking to to, to continue to do that, do that again this year. Um, yeah, just I mean, God damn, he's just so good. Um, Athena and Billy Starks. Um, yeah, what did you what did you think about this one, Dave? Uh, they both played their roles really well. Athena is so great as a heel. And Billy Starks yeah. really worked well underneath here. Had the crowd behind her. Yeah. Love uh love Athena. I, I think I said tweeted something along the lines that like Athena may have had like the the number three best singular performance on the entire show, if you just look mm-hmm. at like what she did. And it's 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 tough because I've seen her in small rooms, and then I've also seen her in a moderate size room, like an ROH. Um and I just think that up close on video or up close, she's probably the best. And I don't know. I I don't I'm not trying to speak to how good your your seats were for this show here, Dave. But I think that if you're in a big arena like this and you're not right up close next to her, what she's doing right now, I think you can appreciate it. But you almost still miss a big part of her, her act because her facials and her shit talking and all of that stuff that you get when you're right up right up next to it or watching on TV make make it even better. Um and I absolutely loved Billy Starks hitting the re the the reanimator. Shout out to PCO um, as like the setup for the finish. Basically, like that was what really finished her. So I just mm-hmm. I really loved that just because you know grinding on the indies and PCO's whole thing, how he like remade himself doing all these stupid bumps, and then Billy kind of like <laughs> I don't know. There was there feels like there's a connection there that I absolutely enjoyed. Um, and I'm 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 here for Billy's like moving forward in uh, in AEW. This is um, her coming out after coming out party after graduating high school recently, which is really yeah, cool. exactly. Um, um, the other thing ahead. I was going to mention is I went with Stephen Graham to this, and uh, we oh, had fantastic. seats that were decidedly not close. <laughs> okay, so, okay, but like but I said, we, I mean, we really enjoyed them. They were they were good good seats for our value. There were really, there weren't bad seats at all, but we weren't. I wouldn't call them up close. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, Athena is still fantastic and you can really appreciate, you know, what her what she does. But again, like there's another level to it when you're right up there and you see just all the little details that she's doing. Like, I mean, yeah, she's she's on another level right now. And it's just I I mean, it's good that she's got some kind of showcase, but she deserves a little bit more. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, ELP versus Stu Grayson. I mean, you would think that like the Canadian fans would be more into this, or this is like something good for the the home crowd for these two guys. But I don't know. I really got nothing out of this. I don't know, Dave. Like, did you did you enjoy this? Because I really this. I thought this was I enjoyed about it enough, and the fans seem to be quite into it. I've seen Stu Grayson's for so many years, and it was cool to see him in such a big building. So, yeah, I like Stu Grayson. I think he's good. ELP, I could take our leave if I'm perfectly honest. But yeah, looks a little um, too much like Logan Paul. Really, <laughs> true, true. Um, and then the, the, I guess the last match on the thing, the uh, Los Ingobernables versus United Empire team. Um, when I was like fantasy booking in my head, the show, I was hoping that we'd get like a catch two, two and Kyle Fletcher match. And this was kind of second, you know, the next thing with Jeff Cobb. I, I mean, I guess I shouldn't look at that as a downgrade, but catch two, two has been such a good tag team. It's kind of like whatever. Um, but you look at this match and I guess, you know, technically, Fletcher is signed to AEW contract, right? But really, you look at this match, and this is basically a New Japan offer match. Like this is all New Japan. Kyle has not really done a ton yeah, that as makes a sense. AEW contracted wrestler, right? 
But I right. I didn't hear a single person mention that. But you know what I did hear people mention? That Athena versus Billy Starks didn't make sense on this show because it was just, you know, it wasn't in New Japan. It wasn't Forbidden Door. There wasn't wrestlers, you know, from another company. And I heard people saying that about Athena and Billy Starks. But I didn't hear anyone say that about this match. So I just kind of want to point that out where it's like a little bit of that, you know, like people have different rubrics when it comes to different things on how they judge stuff. Yeah. This match was fine. But I just I do think it's interesting. It's like, oh, when it's all men and it's new, all New Japan, oh, it's fine. But if it's two women and they're not, none of them is from New Japan. Now it's like, why is this on the show? <laughs> Got a lot of misogyny. It's true. It's true. Um, you know, just felt like I would, uh, I would just point that one out. Well, but by like, the way, like I, I don't said, literally mean you have to love massage. <laughs> you do not. Okay. You literally do not have to hand it to misogyny. Um, no. yeah, I, I appreciate um, anyway. that. That that reminds me, and I was like hoping for a uh, for a way to squeeze this in, uh, just to uh, just because it's something that I've known for a while, but it never really crossed my mind. Because that reminded me of the uh, the the classic drill tweet. You know, you do not under no circumstances do you have to hand it to the Taliban. Um, <laughs> did you know that there's a uh, an American white supremacist group that calls themselves the Base, and they took the name from Al Qaeda because the translation of Al Qaeda means the Base. Um, I did not know fun. this. It's a fun. That's a fun detail where you're like, you know, after 9/11 and everything like that, like America was so like, uh, you know, Al Qaeda was public enemy number one, and everyone hated it. And now we've gotten to the point where like, the you know, the religious fundamentalist white nationalists in America have gone so far the other way that they're like, you know, Al Qaeda had some good ideas. Um, yeah, that's that's fun. Um, on to the main show, Quentin. MJF versus Tanahashi. Uh, what did you think of this one? I mean, I thought, I thought this was pretty fun for what it was. Um, we, I, mean, I think I kind of expected these two to be able to play off each other really well because of just the comedy aspects that they can uh, dive into and the stooging and uh, the, MJ, the MJF can get into there. But I thought, it was, I thought it was really good. I honestly thought it was a pretty good MJF performance here. With the leg selling, which MJF, we've seen him do it enough times. He's a really good limb seller when the time calls for it. So I thought that uh, MJF sold his leg really well. It was super duper animated here. Made Tanahashi look like a million bucks. Uh, you know, this is 2023 Tanahashi. You kind of know what you're expecting. It's not the same guy from even like three years ago. So it's good. Not going to reach super high levels for the most part and it just wasn't meant to here you know it's the opener of the card beyond the tanahashi was gonna was, was gonna lose here and this was just a way to get mjf on the card and it was fun for what it was but i thought mjf had a really solid performance yeah um i mostly agree with everything you said there um i think mjf was pretty solid what he was doing um my one kind of question playing off of that, because you talk about the Tanahashi, we're not even getting the Tanahashi from three years ago or whatever, and he is definitely slowing down. Um, I think that he's he has shown some flashes even recently of being a very solid performer still. Um, so it is kind of interesting as people talk about like, oh, he's breaking down so much. It's going to be it's going to kind of be put up or shut up and really kind of see what's what's going on with him as we go through G1, because that's a lot. That's a lot of matches and that's a lot to, to do. I mean, it's not in a super short period of time as it's been in the past. It seems like maybe we're at a point where Tanahashi needs some breaks in between to make stuff work. Or the other side of it that I kind of 
heard mentioned and would wonder what kind of your opinion is like with how talented Tanahashi can be in the mat wrestling and slowing it down is there a reason why it feels like Tanahashi has not accepted and embraced like kind of a different style and slowing down a bit more like not to say that this is the best example but it's kind of a pretty solid example of like we're not getting a Tanahashi who looks like he's wrestling to his strong suits at this point where he's at. And is that maybe partially because he thinks he's in America? It's kind of like the, I think the most glaring version of this is the, the Kobashi Samoa Joe thing where, where Joe's story is that Kobashi told him like, Oh, I'll be the foreign heel. Like I'll go out there and I'll play like bad guy because I'm from another country or whatever. And Joe was like, hell no, this crowd is going to lose their fucking mind. Cause you're, kento fucking kabashi like or kenta kabashi and like everyone knows who you are and is going to love you you're going to be you know dominant over the top baby face like um do you think that tanahashi was coming here and he's like i can't do anything but try to play the hits because this american crowd's not going to know me or do you think he's just refusing to accept that like he needs to just slow down his style and work more on the mat which again like i said he's really good at so there's no reason why he shouldn't just do that uh, Tanahashi's been consistently coming to America for what, like, almost almost ten years now. Sure, yeah, Toronto. They've been coming to since two thousand fourteen. Yeah, yeah. been coming to America. We're just coming, you know, leaving, leaving Japan, leaving Japan, coming to America, coming to America, Canada. Like he's been doing that pretty consistently for about so for about almost ten years now. So I don't think it's that. I think that's just the way Tanahashi wants to wrestle still, especially like facing MJF, who where he's like this like really accentuated like over the top heel character Tanahashi's want to go and play like the baby the baby face hits and uh and and dive into stuff like that like MJF trying to uh use the belt and rolling and rolling and rolling MJF up while the rest back is turned so you uh get like the long count uh from the crowd while the ref is distracted like I think he's trying to play like the ultimate like play the his baby face thing not because uh of a lack of familiarity, but I think that's just what he's the most comfortable with. I mean, like we know that Tanahashi can do really well on the mat and that he's a really good pro style mat worker. We can go back and look at that stuff, but I think as the consummate babyface, that's just what he's most comfortable with. So maybe there's a better version of this match in which Tanahashi does whatever type of mat work, but for the spot here, and like I said, like this really wasn't important. Like I think the best version of this match that could possibly happen, maybe. But for what it was asked for on the card, I think that Tanahashi did what he thought would work. Yeah, and obviously I, did work. Oh, go ahead. I, I think okay. it did work. Like I think he he had the match he needed to have with MJF for a building block title match, not to steal the entire show, but to get the crowd going and really move along MJF's title reign. Yeah, definitely. And one thing, um, and this is, you know, again, I love I love doing the the counterpoints or the counter arguments and, and airing grievances against other podcasts and stuff. But one thing that I kind of heard or could kind of like see out there as people's takes on this is like, oh, why is MJF, who's supposed to be this smart heel, who's above everything? Why is the crowd chanting coward and everyone chanting coward getting to him and all this and that? And it's kind of like, well, because it was set up by Adam Cole. Like, that's the part where I think that people are missing it. They're like. Oh, you know, because they've already shown that the weakness for MJF is that he keeps getting tricked by Adam Cole. And Adam Cole was the one who was able to get him into this match by saying, 
you know, you're not, are you a coward? And, and, and that called him out. So the crowd chanting coward and Tanahashi chanting coward would normally not get to him. But in this setting, it does get to him because it's just reminding him of Adam Cole already setting this up saying, oh, you need to, you know, you're a coward for not wrestling Tanahashi. So I just, I thought that was very interesting because it's like people who love to like nitpick details, but they don't really like look at the big picture. And it's just like, I mean, you know, this is, (laughs) I've got people on this call who know this stuff, but you know, this is like embedded psychological trauma. Like that's how it works. Like if something that someone does to you, like actually gets to you, then in the future, like the same thing can have a similar effect on you in your psyche when normally it wouldn't because it's, you know, it's triggering past memories of negative experiences. Right. So like that kind of happens, like normally whatever wouldn't would just roll off your back. But if it triggers a specific memory and causes like a a bigger issue, then like it actually gets you like, I don't know. I just to me that it made all the sense in the world. It was just very funny to think like, Oh, people like who are trying to look for details are like picking that out. But uh, Dave, what did you think about the match overall? Uh, I quite enjoyed it. It's uh, I thought MJF really played his character. Well, Tanahashi, you know, I've seen him in front of the Toronto crowd several times. Uh, just it happened to be 13 times the size this time. And uh, they, he really, he really played uh, the crowd knew everyone and knew everything about them. It seemed, and he, he really played that well. And, uh, you know, like he, he pulled out some hits, yes. And the crowd did want to see that. And MJF really got what he needed out of this match. Yeah. And yeah, you move forward. It was I thought the, the psychology of setting up for it to be the opening match worked out perfectly. And yeah, I thought that it was done really well. Follow that up. Owen Hart Foundation men's tournament. I like that it's quarterfinal. I felt like last year there was like tons of like qualifying matches and and tons of like earning your spot into the tournament. And then now this year, it's like you just jump in and we're starting with the quarterfinals. It feels very, very interesting the way that things just. I don't know, like it's there's it feels like there's certain superficial things that Tony Khan really cares about, like details on. And then there's like things to me that just would make more sense in the context of like a sport that he just like completely whiffs. And this is one of them where it's just like, you know, he having the same show in the same building every year on a certain holiday, like that just doesn't speak to me, you know, like that kind of tradition. But then like being like, oh, the Owen Howard tournament this year, like after how much setup it took last year and people had to earn their spots and all this stuff. And then this year, it just kind of feels like almost like an afterthought. Like it was just out of nowhere. And they're like, oh, we got to do the Owen and it's happening in Canada. And uh, here's all the matches. And we're starting in the quarterfinals. That's just like, what, what, what the fuck is going on? Anyways, um. CM Punk, is he on another level? I hear people talking about just how special he is. And I can't argue with it, especially in a big match like this. All of his promos so far, as we're like continuing to move forward, like CM Punk, like just this amazing wrestler, this amazing worker, this just standout, phenomenal. I don't know what the fuck is going on. Hopefully he could not get injured a bunch, like whatever. But I just, I understand that all the drama and all the annoying stuff before this, like really turned people sour. And then again, the injuries, getting a couple injuries back to back made people just like think like, oh, this guy just doesn't, can't cut it, can't hack it. He's just not the guy. But like, I don't know, (laughs) Quentin, you know, I've said many times like CM Punk 
just knock it out of the park, no question Hall of Famer. On another level, one of the greatest of all time at pretty much everything. Literally coming off of returning it from injury off of the greatest, honestly, as far as I'm concerned, the greatest run that he had as an in-ring wrestler of his entire career. Like if we're being if I'm being honest, up until this point, I've always thought, yes, great promo, but not the best worker, but really put it together when it came to psychology and work, all that. I'm not shocked that he came back and is fucking amazing, but so many people, I think, talk themselves into thinking like, oh, this he's just not there. It's not worth it. He's just a headache. He's blah, 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 all these things. And they just forgot the whole reason why everyone puts up with this asshole is because he can deliver stuff like this. Um, I just absolutely fantastic. And then the final thing that I'll say, Quentin, me and you as uh, as you know, the T the pro TNA podcast, um, other than, you know, obviously uh, uh, Liam and and Garrett's podcast, but the second most pro TNA podcast in the world. Um, all the people who were shocked about <laughs> Taz saying the yam bag, he got hit in the yam bag. Like you were just telling on yourself that you haven't been paying attention to Taz commentary because Taz has been talking about the yam bag for like 15 years at this point. Um, but What's yeah, Quentin, what? what, what wait, so <laughs> a lot of people were like, oh my God, he said yam bag. He called it a yam bag. Oh my God, that's crazy. How could he do that? Why would he say that? On commentary in front, there's like, no, there's no way. Yes, no this, is, this was a talking point all over the place, and it's like Taz has been saying yambag for fucking ever. Taz might be saying yambag on like SmackDown. Here comes the pain. Yeah, exactly. Like yambag Yahtzee. Yeah, he like I'm pretty sure he was yeah. saying. I'm pretty sure he was saying that on the video games. <laughs> yeah, insane. it's crazy. It's fucking crazy. It's like you. How? How? Anyways, Quentin, um, what do you think about CM Punk? What do you think about this match? Uh, I think CM Punk is good. Uh, definitely, definitely, a, definitely a good pro wrestler. Um, no, um, I think this Punk Canada Canada thing is very interesting because, as we talked about with Punk's uh, return on Collision, that it felt like the Brett colors were very, very intentional. And so far, this is playing out exactly how we thought it would with some of the Bret Hart 1997 stuff in terms of like. In some places, he's going to get cheered more than others, and he's not going to shy away from being booed in the places that do boo him. And Punk is a guy that's going to make that work. Punk is a guy that he can lean into it and make himself even more hated than he already was, or he can give you the ultimate rallying cry baby baby face promo. So it ultimately just depends on where it's going to be, and Punk is such a master of his craft that it doesn't matter. He's going to figure it out. When it came to this, I mean... We know Kojima. Kojima has flashes and like have fun matches, but we know what Kojima has been for like almost largely the last 10 years, kind of. And we know that that's limited and that it's still fun and he can still do things, but it's not the best wrestler in the world. A guy that's just fun and the crowd and, and the crowd and the crowd gets into it and there's like a novelty factor there. So it's fun there. So it's fun. But what stands out to me is I think of like, my favorite Kojima match from the last probably, probably, probably the last 10 years or so as my favorite Kojima match was the Kenny Omega Kojima match from G1 which was Kenny just being super over the top disrespectful with Kojima and getting the crowd even more into the match and stuff like that and this match isn't so nearly as good as that but it kind of like delves into the same things with Punk being extra disrespectful, uh, looking at the cam- camera, saying Kojima, Lariat, and 
just doing a whole bunch of obnoxious heel shit and just playing into the same emotions that Kenny was playing that that Kenny was playing into there. So I love the performance from Punk here. This performance is why Punk is one of the best wrestlers of all time. It's not because it's the best match. It's because Punk is just so must watch in everything that he does that even in the second match on the show with the super limited legend type guy, Punk finds a way to leave with some of the most memorable stuff from the show. And that's just a testament to how special Punk is. So it was it was fun. Gonna be remembered for the Punk performance, but I thought a really effective use of the dynamic with the crowd uh, with Punk in Toronto. Yeah, definitely. Dave, uh, what did you think about this one? This was such a blast. He ate up the crowd and had them he had us all in the palm palm of his hand like just doing exactly what he wanted having an absolute blast with it doing the making fun of uh kojima's uh the peck dance like it's just the whole thing had had everyone just on the edge of their seats if you were watching this for the first time and had never watched aew or even wrestling before you would have known exactly who this guy was in terms of who he was that night at least and you would have left remembering him yeah no that's definitely a, a good point um quentin the uh the doing the kojima lariat the the kind of a uh, reference to the shoot the shoot interview with uh, the quoting homicide. Um, Does that count as code switching and should punk be canceled for doing AAVE? Um, I don't think it counts, (laughs) but I, I, I I appreciate the bit here. (laughs) I'm, I'm trying to, I'm just looking for any way to get punk. Remember I'm supposed to be a punk hater now. So I'm looking for any way to get him. Yeah. No, Um, yeah, yeah. No, like probably like, like you know a little bit a little bit more of a reach there than even usual but like i, pre- I appreciate the effort yeah I'll, I'll get them i'll get them one day um aw international title four-way match the champion orange cassidy uh the ace the true ace of aew uh versus katsuyora shibata the roh pure champion zach saber jr the iwgp television no the njpw television champion and Daniel Garcia, the PWG champion, who for some reason didn't bring his title. Um, uh, can I? This was really fun. But, uh, like just watching the Zach and Orange Cassidy Cassidy interactions, and I know they teased it again after the match. I know this. I really just want Zach and Orange Cassidy. Like this was yeah. great. This was really fun. I just would like Zach and Orange Cassidy. Like they were easily the, like their stuff together was easily the best part of the match. And. I would really like for them to just book Zach and Orange Cassidy. I would just like that to happen soon. I uh, I need it to happen because number one, I obviously I when we did the preview, I predicted that this would be the match, it'd be the four way, and it was before it was announced. I just knew that's what was going to happen, and uh, I do want them to do the Zach and Orange Cassidy singles match so that the other half of my prediction can come, which is uh, Tony doing the the same thing as the ROH Pure versus the uh, ROH heavyweight champion or world title um the unified step where the match goes over the 15 minutes and cassidy wins but he doesn't unify the titles because the ti- the tv title has a 15 minute time limit um so we'll get there but yeah i mean this was great this was i mean i guess great is a, a bit strong this was really good it was for a four-way it hit all the notes i just think 
these three matches in a row kind of speak to the thing about this show. And, you know, obviously, Dave, you were there live and you can, you know, argue with me all you want if you like here. But like this show is just not living up to the hype that a lot of people were presenting or, or talking themselves into where they're like, well, last year's show ended up being the show of the year and the build was bad and we weren't that excited going into it. So this year with the build being better and no injuries and all this stuff that people were saying, like now this is going to be even better. And I just don't think it really delivered at that level. And I think that people talk themselves into it where they're refusing to admit it. And that I'm not saying like this was a bad show, but I would say that it, it didn't like it didn't uh, it disappointed on that really high bar that people were setting. And uh, and they were kind of like being like, you know, people have just decided to say like, oh, this is actually the greatest show of all time because, you know, they just want it to be. And I thought, like again, like I said, these three matches in a row just kind of like being fine, being, you know, good enough at what they were meant to be, but not really feeling insanely special was kind of it. And I'm I'm with you, Quentin, that I would rather see a Sabre Orange Cassidy singles match, but it does seem like we're going to get there. But uh, but Dave, you know, you could tell me that I'm an idiot and I don't know what I'm talking about. Well, I would say, you know, I hear what you're saying, but you're just wrong. Uh, this was the best show I've ever been to. And uh, the match is built well. Uh, I mean, we'll get to a match that uh, I am quite a fan of. I think you probably know which one I'm talking about. Uh, but I thought every match played its part. Uh, probably the only one that was really disappointing for me is coming up in a couple of matches. But other than that, I thought like not every match has to be Osprey versus Omega. Every match played its part in the card, I felt. That's that's fair. Did you want to talk more about this match specifically? Yes, I did. Uh, I actually Please. thought Daniel Garcia really was incredibly entertaining in this. I, I really like his gimmick, but everyone was just fantastic. Uh, Cassidy, I probably came away from the two nights that I saw AEW this week. Uh, I was already a fan of his, but I was a much bigger fan of his after seeing him live as well. Uh, the crowd ate him up, and uh, this this was a blast. I, I love Zack Sabre Jr., and again, I, I would agree, seeing him against Orange Cassidy would be incredibly entertaining, and I did like that they did some they did some callbacks with Cassidy and Shibata as well. Yeah, I mean, again, I I agree with pretty much everything you said there, and I guess we'll move on to like you were you know you were saying that there was one match that was a standout for you on the night, and obviously that'll be this next match that we we're going to talk about. Obviously, uh, Jack Perry <laughs> versus Sonata, the match that everyone coming out of this show is losing their minds for. Dave, like. <laughs> What was this like in the building? Because watching it on TV, it it's like rough. Like, I I don't I, hate I, it. I think but... it's a definition of good, not great. Yeah, like give me give me the give me your thoughts and give me your the feeling in the room because people just didn't seem like they were loving it. People didn't really know much about Sonata, really. Like, I mean, they they knew I they knew they knew New Japan stuff. I mean, Sonata is a newly established champion. This is a building block match for him as well, kind of like MJF's was, but uh, MJF delivered on his more than Sonata did. Uh, but people were into Jack Perry. Um, I'm really glad I got to see him in this match because he, you know, the crowd being so into the entrance music was great, and then him making fun of them at the end was even better. So, uh, Like I say, the match was good, not great. I didn't think it was bad, but it was just, you know, getting a notch in the belt for Sonata and affecting the Jack Perry heel turn. 
So it was more of a good angle than a good match. Yeah, it was it was executed fine, but it really did not feel like it had a ton of stakes. It didn't feel important. It didn't feel like I, I think there was no, a main title think anybody on the line. Ever thought that there was going to be a title change? Not in right. their wildest dreams, right? Yeah, and for a show like this, where you're supposed to be like, oh, this is a you know a big you know these two companies are crossing over and all this in between, like all that kind of stuff, like to have a a major the top title as far as you know it's concerned for one of the companies to have their match. I mean, both companies their top title matches are kind of like afterthoughts. There's no chance. Like I just. I feel like it really misses the boat, you know, on what you're supposed to be delivering on, for something like this. I think it also speaks to where both titles are at right now in terms of their, their building periods with both champions. That is true. But, I mean, we'll look at it. You know, we're going to review it next week, hopefully. But, like, you look at uh, um, Dragon Gate and they their champion is, like, in a building period as well. But that match, the main event, I guess it's the semi-main, feels still feels like it's going to be like actually have some drama and be important, but it's a very similar situation. We'll see how it delivers, but true. I just, yeah. you know, it's on paper. It's like, you can still make the titles or the title matches feel important. And this just, I mean, I hate to say it, but they, like I said, both of the, the main title matches feel like they're afterthoughts. And I guess you could argue that the United States championship match definitely felt very important and, and over delivered. And that does help in some ways in this regard. But yeah, I just, I don't know. Like I said, solid match, execution's fine, all that, but just not uh not like it doesn't feel like it was a big championship match, I guess. Um Quentin, what were your thoughts? Um Yeah, I think that's ultimately reflective of like what's more important here is like there's the match itself and there's the angle, and we see like how effective it seemed like the angle was and the timing for that being uh being being pretty good, but yeah, no, when this was announced, I mean, like, I can speak for myself, and I can speak for Sam, you're like, no one's interested in fucking Sonata versus Jungle Boy. Like, I think Jungle Boy is good. I like Jungle Boy. doesn't mean I think Jungle Boy is interesting, necessarily. And I've never been the biggest Sonata fan, either, so when you announce these two together, it's like, okay, this is a match that exists. It's a, ma- it's a match that definitely exists. So it's not something I was looking forward to, and I can't say it was bad, it's just like the reality is, no matter what their work was or the quality of their work, no one cared about this. Like Sonata's really over in Japan. Like Sonata's been really over in Japan for a long time now. Like his connection with that all with, with, with the audience there is entirely different to what his connection with the audience here is gonna be, especially when he's not like as lauded or historically praised the way that, like, you know. Or just, or even just as big of a star as say, like the guys like Okada, Naito, or Kota Ibushi are. Like he's just not that. So you have him come over. You have him wrestling a guy that's already pretty divisive anyway in Jungle Boy, and it's just not a recipe to get a match that that people are super engaged in, at least not in positive ways. So like, I don't think it was a bad. I don't think it was a bad match. I think the finish made Jungle Boy look, you know, and, and again, like, sometimes the champion. So that's it makes sense here, but. The finish year, especially coming off another like a previous loss in another world title match, definitely made Jungle Boy look pretty weak in my opinion. Just felt pretty decisive, which again he's the champion like that. Sh- it should be that way, but yeah, it just wasn't a good combination in terms of like 
the match itself, but as a vehicle to get to the heel turn, I think it served its purpose just fine, which I think is the bigger story here anyway. Right. It's that, and it's, you know, it's that, it's kind of an old school booking philosophy that I, I don't know. And there's a lot of old school booking philosophy things that I kind of question more and more as we move on. I think I talked about it last week where I, I talked about how like, you know, wrestlers who, who say that they suck is, is more popular now. And pe- some people who are really old school don't get it. They don't understand how much, you know, how much like Gen Z people just want to die and they, and they hate everything about themselves. So they're, they like seeing a wrestler who talks the same way. Um, the whole thing where it's like, oh, he's going to turn heel. So he's able to just eat a really disgusting loss like this. That makes him look like a dork because, oh, as soon as he turns heel, it, it like wipes the slate clean. And it's kind of like, well, I think he has to make the heel turn work for that to happen. And we could talk about the promo a little bit later or not. If we, if we do talk about, uh, Dave's, you know, uh, experience with the live show. I mean, really from the, the dynamite that you went to Dave, this is probably the the biggest, most important thing when it comes to this pay-per-view to talk about. So maybe we could talk about it here real quick, but like the Jungle Boy pro- heel promo and, and kind of establishing the heel character, like... Yeah, Quentin, it, I don't know, it did really did set it? that up well. I did, I did see the promo, what, yeah. Yeah, what do you guys... What did you, Okay, so Dave, you, you mentioned it there, like, set it up well. What did you think of the promo? What do you think about the character change? And, and do you think that this match was a fine loss for Jungle Boy because he reset well in the heel turn? I think it was a fine loss because it showed that he wasn't cutting it as a baby face and it was time to turn heel. And he did a, did you say you did see the promo Quentin? Yeah, I did. Yeah. So I, I felt he really turned himself up a notch in that promo and showed that, uh, he's, he's ready to be at another level uh, from a character standpoint. Yeah. I have to agree with that. Quentin, what was kind of, do you agree with that? Like, outside of the context of this match or I guess this match leading to the promo and the heel turn, like, do you think it, it's acceptable? Uh, I, I like, I like the, I like the idea. I'm, I do think at some point with jungle boy, you have to put him out there and see what you have and see if he can figure out the talking thing, figure out the promo stuff. And maybe he can, this was the first promo. I still felt like it, like this was like basically like it was basic run of the mill heel stuff, which is good. That's fine for right now. I just want to see if there's some like a different thing that could work for him that he could uh, tap that he could, that he could tap into. But I think it was an interesting step in another direction. I'm wondering, maybe you do. I don't. I'm not saying you re you reunite. Um, you reunite Jurassic Jurassic Express. Uh, but maybe. Do you align him with Christian again, just to have him with an effective promo guy, someone that can get heat? You put those two together again. I think that's instant heat everywhere they go. So I would be thinking about putting him and Christian together together again. I think that the Don Callis and Takeshita thing is fine, but I think that maybe Jungle Boy and Callis is also pretty interesting in. Like maybe Jungle Boy gets better as a promo, but I think that still like maybe introducing Callus or Christian to the to the act would work a lot. Yeah, I I agree with you, and I'm more on the Christian side. I think redoing Jurassic Express, but as heels, would actually work really well. Um, but I don't know if they're you know a lot of people maybe don't want to go that way. Um, I I have an idea for his faction. Please, please. 
two guys who have not been used as heels that should be are uh, Brock Anderson and Brian Pillman Jr. Hmm. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not mad at that. Yeah, I yeah, like that too. I really liked them as heels on the Flair show last year and put them together and get another big bruiser in there uh, as part of the group and without calling them horsemen, kind of go in that direction. I like the idea of that too because it is the second generation thing and you've already got um, Jungle Boy kind of playing off of the thing where he was calling out Hook for his dad handing things to him, right? So he surrounds himself with two more second generation guys and then obviously you know jungle boy's father was famous but he wasn't a wrestler so it's like different you know so i i definitely really like that idea honestly those two would be perfect um so there you go dave again just delivering on on why 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 we have you here basically because <laughs> um, you see you just see things that we didn't see um follow that up with the elite versus bcc um, I guess the elite with Kingston and Tomohiro Ishii versus BCC um, with Takeshita and Shota Amino. I don't know. I To me, I feel like Shota Amino is part of the group, but whatever. Um, I heard, you know, kind of, I think it was even on the commentary or maybe it was the, the scrum afterwards. But yeah, I think it was the commentary. I think Excalibur said it, right? That uh, Danielson... And Okada was uh, was a love letter to professional wrestling. Um, and if you follow that logic and that same idea, this match, this 10-man tag, this was a love letter to AEW. Like, this match really delivered on the ethics, the psychology, the house style, the history, the everything, the vibe that is AEW. This match encapsulated everything that is AEW in a big 10-man tag, even down to the format. As I, I tweeted this one out, but I think it is true that in... Sorry, in America, uh, multi big multi-person matches like this have not been, you know, presented as important, presented as main event in a long time. And now we're at a point where AEW has kind of brought that back where people take these kind of matches more seriously as they presented, you know, they've got blood and guts, they've got anarchy in the arena, stadium stampede, all that. They've got just big matches like this one that have all been presented as important. They're not just throwaway. They're not just, you know, they're, they're not, matches. they're not just a method to set up a singles match. Yes, they are the destination. They are not part of the story. They can be the destination, the blow off, and they are the story. And this was again, perfect for that on top of having, Everything that you want out of a high spot, young, you know, for lack of a better term, young bucks style tag team match. Right. And and really, you know, the hung bucks being the kind of the best version of that trios all action. And even before AEW existed, kind of became the pinnacle, like, I guess, the second pinnacle, because really the top to me, always the top example of the young bucks match, as people refer to it, is was always the AJ Styles and Young Bucks team against anybody on a random ROH TV show. And you would just get these insane, like, or, or like the, the, the war of the worlds, you know, new Japan shows, whatever, but like where you would just get these insane mixtures of all these fucking crazy spots that Matt Jackson comes up with, with just nuts performers. And that's why Adam page is so good in the kind of the second best, the second coming of the AJ Styles in that role, because just a guy who can hit, 
and do everything, which AJ Styles obviously could do everything when it comes to he could do big power spots and he could do high flying stuff and he's got the charisma and he's got the crowd. You know, everyone's behind him. He's got the likability. He's got the aura on top of being able to physically do anything like just the perfect guy to just plug into that role. Um, And yeah, I just think that Adam Page is so great at that. Then you get into the bloody wild brawl stuff between Moxley and Kingston and and Ishii and Takeshita. Like, again, like I said, this was the culmination. This is the love letter. This is this is what AEW is all about. This is delivering to you what AEW is about all the way down to the finish with Ishii getting the pin out of nowhere. A guy who just never presented as a top guy in New Japan, but everyone just absolutely adores and loves. And that was kind of the edict and the the whole point of AEW was there's a ton of guys out here who deserve better than what they're getting. And we're going to be the company where those guys finally get their due. And so you finish the match off with the, 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 the er example of that Tomohiro Ishii who spent however many years in new Japan being the fan favorite and the guy who, you know, Dave Meltzer, whenever he talks about, the concept of someone getting into the Hall of Fame based solely on work, right? He, Ishii has become his go-to example of a guy who just deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, not for anything other than just what he does in ring. That's the guy who gets the win because you go, this is what this company is about, as I said. So that's it. <laughs> I know that's a lot, but uh, Quentin, what did you think about the match? Yeah, I loved it. Like you said, it just interweaves all these different stories you have the history of Moxley and Omega, Moxley and Omega in particular. You have the the betrayal of Omega and Takeshita, and knowing Omega's history in DDT with Takeshita when he was first coming when he was first coming into the company. You have Eddie and Claudio. You have Eddie and Moxley. Like you have Umino there, still pro- still proving himself. Uh, you have like the whole aspect of the elite all reuniting and dating back to their history and all that type of stuff. There's so much there to be invested into and just happy and just happy about on top of just the novelty of like, like I'm like, we're watching Shota, Shota Umino and Konosuke Takeshita on the same team. Like that's a wild thing to happen to like to have happened. Like, even though we knew that Takeshita had hit it, had hit his, had hit his head on, on DDT ceiling there that, Maybe he had bigger ambitions that maybe you could have seen him leaving the company. But still, though, to see Umino and Takeshita on the same team is just a wild thing. And just with all these guys being such great wrestlers and performers, like this is just as great as you'd expect it to be because AEW takes tags like this seriously. And these this is just 10 really great wrestlers. So there's nothing more for me to say that, like, I loved it. I loved the stuff with Eddie still not being satisfied because he still wants to deal with uh, Claudio and also his conflicting emotions with the Moxley part of all this. So I love that sort of like unresolved tension there that kept this from being a super triumphant moment with the with the reunion of the of the elite. But I love this. This was really really fun. Uh, might be my favorite match of the show. I I I think I think that's where I'm with it, but I loved it. Yeah, and uh yeah, 
the I love you saying wild thing, wild thing multiple times in your review because you know they didn't come out to wild thing, so that's very funny. Um, and uh, and yeah, and that's the epitome of Eddie. And I meant to mention this as well. Um, in my you know my gushing over it there is like Eddie is never satisfied. It's perfect that at the end of it he's not satisfied because that's the essence of Eddie's character. He's 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 just never satisfied. Um, I heard and I kind of agreed with the concept that like. In a, in the history of AEW so far, uh, Adam Page is the protagonist of AEW and MJF is the antagonist of AEW. But I also heard, and I agree with it too, that outside of that, Eddie Kingston is the main character of AEW. Like, it's very weird to think about that because you assume that the, you know, the protagonist would be the main character or whatever. But in a weird way, it's like all, all of that makes sense together. And it's great to have them all in here. And you could also say that John Moxley is like one of the main characters. It's kind of like those two are so intertwined and have been so intertwined with each other that like they're a, a big part of the nucleus. While like, you know, the, the hero of the company has been Adam Page and the villain of the company has been MJF. The main characters are Eddie and Moxley. Um, and it's just the drama and everything that's mixed in between with all of that on top of all the stuff that I talked about, the actual, you know, physicality of the match. There's just a lot here. Um, but Dave, the live aspect of this, because this is a, on top of all the other stuff we were just talking about, this is a wild party, crazy 10-man tag, which I, I'm sure was even better in the building. Yeah, the BCC were over huge, but uh, I would say the person over the most in this match was Eddie Kingston. And that was really cool to see. Uh, I mean, the, the guy was just in town. It has been in town quite a bit with Greek town wrestling, but just seeing him on this stage was amazing because, you know, that antichrist called Vince McMahon would never give someone like him a chance. And I just love seeing him shining in, the, in, in an environment like this. Really Utah getting the chance as well. I really like your talk about the Jacksons, uh, the, the Young Bucks and AJ Styles being such a good pairing because uh, I actually, actually, I know this is a segue, but it just made me think back to seeing the great 10-man tag I saw with them uh, at Global Wars in 2015 that they were in. So uh, it's just, they've got a great history in Toronto and they got to continue it here. But yeah, Eddie Kingston was over huge and really had uh, the crowd whooped up. And I like that it's a a multi-man tag that doesn't have a gimmick. It was just let's that they they've established that 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 can work in this in this kind of in this kind of company, and it's kind of like you know a lucha trios or you know the multi-man ma matches you've seen in New Japan over the years. Uh, it just works in this works in AEW, and they're they're making it something that's that's to be sought after rather than thrown away. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's I think. I think that's one of the biggest takeaways. And again, it speaks to like Quentin said, where I could, I wouldn't be shocked if you have this as your match of the night. And, and I definitely agree with it in a lot of ways. Um, follow this up. We've got the AEW women's world title match, Tony storm defending the title against the IWGP strong women's champion. Willow Nightingale. Uh, Dave, what did you think about this one? Oh, uh, Sorry, you caught me on mute while I was surfing. Uh, ah. I, uh, <laughs> I'm busted. Uh, I so thought this fun. was probably the more most disappointing match of the night, but it was fine. It was just probably the most disappointing for me. I really am a huge fan of Will Nightingale, and didn't like didn't get to see as much from her as I would have liked here. 
Uh, and it was a lot of Tony Storm's character work. That being said, it's a pretty good gimmick, pretty run, pretty good run they have right now as Cass. Um, but I didn't think it was the best women's match of the night. Okay, that's fair. Um, Quentin, what did you think about uh, Tony versus Willow here? Yeah, I thought I thought it was fine. Um, part of me think like I think there's a better version of this match that can exist here. I think it just depends on like how heavy they go with like the outcast uh character work and, and interference of it all. But I think there's a better version of this match that could exist. Um I do think it says something about how New Japan views this title that they just sent their champion out there to lose. And I get it. Like Willow also is I'm pretty sure Willow is also under AEW contract. So she does so she does both and uh you know, they, they knew if, if AEW wants to push her and she's also a New Japan champion, there's only so much that can be done there. But I think there is a testament to how little New Japan cares about that belt that they sent their women's champion out there and she lost. So uh, that that's that says something to me as well. That's that's definitely fair, and I agree. I agree with you guys mostly. I think I liked the match more than both of you in a lot of ways. Um, it also hit some very particular kind of you know scratch some certain itches that I've talked about in the in the past here that always work for me, which is like Tony Storm showing that she's been through a battle by the end like i love i always love that and quentin you know i've talked about the hair having the hair go from the perfectly you know presented two little poofs on the top to just like these fucking rat nests that are just ripped up on top of that her nose getting busted open and having a little bit of blood but not like you know not like we'll talk about later where it just seems like a fucking horror show of blood but just a little incidental blood that feels authentic and real um, just basically, I like when at the end of a match, someone looks like they've been through some shit. Um, that said, they, yeah, they could have used more time. Um, I got I guess even on top of it, I talked about the hair, but yeah, like the way that Tony came in with kind of the most contouring and the most like very, you know, very put together makeup that I've seen her have before. So it really felt like she came into this put together poised, And by the end of it, she looked like she had been through something. And Willow made her made sure that she looked like she went through something. Willow beat the shit out of her. All of Willow's stuff looked fucking great. Um, you know, beat her from pillar to post. And that's why I say could have used more time. You guys both said there's probably a better match here. And that's, you know, part of it. Getting more time, getting more focus, getting more feature. And I think it just speaks to the unfortunate nature of Willow's situation right now. And it's fucking annoying because everything points to present Willow better, push her stronger. Everyone loves her. She's over as fuck. She got lucky. She won this title. And it's like, instead of accepting it and going with it, now that you're in the position, you do this where it feels like you're not really presenting her as strong as you could. Um. So, yeah. But otherwise, like I said, I think I agree with you guys for the most part, except for I just actually enjoyed the match a little bit more than you. Um. But uh, that's kind of my takeaway. The funny thing, one of the funny things from the scrum, people... I think more than one person in the scrum asked Tony Storm about this gear and her gear being stardom gear. Now, Quentin, me and you, I don't know about you, but I remember Tony Storm when she first showed up in progress and she always wore gear like this from the beginning. So I was very, it was very odd to me that people were like making such a big deal about you're wearing stardom gear. Was that intentional? And she said, well, this gear just, it just arrived like it just happened to show up on time or whatever and you know like she's kind of in character of the presser so whatever but 
I don't equate like the kind of gear that she was wearing tonight with stardom because Tony had always wore like two tone gear that kind of looked like this. Am I crazy? Yeah, when she did her gimmick change, because you remember she used to wear like gold gear. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like when she did the gimmick change, this is just kind of what she's always wore. So I don't I don't know. That's that's odd. But yeah, she went from wearing gold gear to like stuff like that. So I don't, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, like either black and either black and red or black and white, but the same kind of two-tone thing. It was, I was just like, what are you guys talking about? Anyway, it, it just thought it was very odd, but I, I did like that she was like being dismissive. Um, main event of the evening, what should have gone on last probably. I don't know. What do you guys think? Um, Dave, you mentioned a match that stood out for you. Is this it? Will Ospreay versus Kenny Omega, IWGP United States heavyweight title? Yes. Not only was this the best show I've ever been to, this is the best match I've ever seen live. Right. Well, give us your thoughts. I thought the physicality was next level. I thought Osprey's heel work. Uh, Steven was not a fan of the Canadian flag stuff. He thought it was sophomoric. Uh, my praise of it is that it was sophomoric, and I loved it. And it uh, really got the crowd crowd riled up. And Omega rose to the occasion. It was so great having gone from seeing him, you know, debut in the Ted Reeve Arena and no one knowing really who he was. And uh, I even, like, a few months later in 2008 when he debuted in Ring of Honor, got to see him at the Markham Fairgrounds, their second show in the G- the greater Toronto area. I saw him in a three-way with Danielson and uh, Tyler Black. And to see him, you know, like, and no one really quite appreciated the gravity of who those guys would be um, to see him come so far and to get the main event, this show and to deliver so much really meant a lot to me as someone who's been a fan of his for years. And I was calling the finish that it was best for Osprey to win. Uh, so they could do the rubber match. And I think they're going to do that at Wembley. I, um, you caught me. I was uh, washing my hands, actually, which is weird. Um, but uh, yeah, I um, I agree with everything you said there. I actually did want to ask you about the flag thing because I I, I was talking to a uh, you know a friend of the podcast, we'll say, about that who's a fellow Canadian, and then they were saying like that they were somewhat ashamed of the patriotism in the building, and and you talking about it in the context of of wrestling and you know. S- Stephen Graham, uh, our guest, our, our fourth mic on the night. Unfortunately, he's not here. Um, talking about the uh, the sophomore nature of the the flag stuff, but like, does it culturally does the the patriotism and messing with the flag like that hit the same in Canada? Like, beyond just if you thought it worked in the context of the wrestling match, like culturally, do you think that like doing something like that really has the same gravitas as it does in America? Yeah, I mean, interestingly enough, Saturday, uh, two days from now, it's Canada Day, and it's I kind of joke that it's the one day of the year the Canadians pretend to love their country as much as Americans do. Uh, but I will say that 1997, the Hart Foundation versus Austin and company feud was, to me, the height of wrestling, and it was never a better time to be a Canadian wrestling fan. Because everybody was so into that, I didn't know a sing- I didn't know anybody who wasn't talking about that all the time. So when the moment calls for it, you can really 
really got the patriotism going and in in Canadian fans, and this did the trick. Yeah, I I I kind of feel like that's more it. It's like getting caught up in the moment, less like that it would be a a thing in day to day. Like I don't think like a Canadian walking down the street would be mad about seeing someone defile the flag, but in the moment and in the context of a wrestling match, you can make it work, right? Um, exactly. Feels more feels more like the 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 thing there. Um, Quentin, what did you think about this match? And um and do you think that Will Osprey should be put in prison for hitting that tiger driver or the uh, i guess yeah i guess the tiger driver okay so for the most part i I like like 95 percent of this match like really enjoy this love the pace they worked with i loved osprey in control i thought that osprey was really good in control here i thought that kenny was great selling here uh the Blood from Kenny was good, you know. Took, took the coward's way out. Didn't blade. Went, 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 with the, went with the packet. But all right, you know, fair enough. And I like the control segment from from Will there. Uh, I'm leaning towards Dave there with the flag thing. Is that I don't think Will Osprey is trying to do the most uh, uh, intelligent heel work possible in that. It was good because it was just Will Ospreay being a dumb asshole to stuff with the flag. Like, I was like, okay, cool. Like, that's just Will Ospreay being dumb. That checks out with who he is as a person. So, yeah, that, that makes sense. That make that makes sense to me. Uh, but I really liked, I really liked that. Like, when I switches, I love the blade job from Ospreay. I mean, Ospreay is a guy that we've seen Tim a lot in certain, in, in sort of like these big gimmick matches. And Osprey just—he's not a blader. He's not. He—we've seen him like even with like Jimmy Havoc, we saw him do uh do packets and stuff. So this like seeing him blade like that was uh definitely a rarity, and I think definitely added to the match because it was a really good blade job too. Uh, you know Kenny's gear having both his his blood and Osprey and Osprey's on it made for a really made for a really good visual. So. I really like the vast majority of this match. The problem for me comes with the callous stuff. And it's not because the callous stuff was bad. It's because the callous stuff doesn't factor it in at all to the finish. And if that doesn't factor into the finish, then I kind of don't get the point. So callous hands Osprey the screwdriver, distracts the ref, Osprey uses it, hits a move, and Kenny kicks out. Right. And then they go through a whole finishing stretch where Callus isn't a factor at all. And Osprey still winds up winning the match clean in the middle of the ring. Now, the first match between these two was pretty much worked in the way in which Osprey was a babyface. It almost serves as the impetus for turning United Empire babyface. So coming in and doing a match where it's fine that Osprey's in control, but doing a match where he's so outwardly healing is a little odd because that's not where their story left off. But okay, fine, whatever, right? If that was the case and they wanted to tell a heel story of Osprey's so obsessed with beating Omega that he is aligning himself with Callus, then he should have cheated to beat Kenny. He should have just beat him when Callus interfered. 
but instead they went for like 10 more minutes after that and Osprey just beat them clean basically. So I'm confused as to what the point of this was because you could have told the Osprey Omega story without doing the callous thing. So it felt like there was just too much going on there. It felt like they got away from the Osprey Omega story in order to shoehorn Callus into this. And now I'm not really sure what the story is because the story they told in New Japan is not the same story they told here. Like, and I get it. Like, Osprey should be a babyface in his company. And Kenny should be a babyface in his company there. Like, I get that. And I'm fine with that. I'm saying, like, the stuff that goes along with it, including the Callus part. So, I think it's a really good match. I really like the match. Other than that, and me being confused as to what exactly they're trying to accomplish with it, I have no problem with the match, and I think it's great. I think it's really, really good. Not my match here or anything like that, but I thought it was a really good match. It's just when it comes to the finish and things like that, I think they just were doing a lot, and they should have chosen something. Either Osprey beats Kenny with cheating, or the or the callous stuff just isn't factored in at all. They chose either one or the other. Yeah, I um, I have to agree more with you on that, Quentin. In a lot of ways, on the kind of the match itself and everything. Um, I think that the stuff again, the stuff with the flag. I'm with both of you that I liked it and I liked the way it was going. I liked a lot of the heel stuff with Osprey. Even something I was like a bit torn on, as you you kind of referenced it there. But something that I was definitely a bit torn on was was Osprey licking the blood on his arm because I feel like it's just it's almost like stealing valor to to get the crowd doing a you sick fuck chant licking fake blood right um so it's like okay like but at the same time it's wrestling so you know you're kind of working the crowd and you're getting something out of you're getting something for nothing so is that not like kind of the whole essence of working so Again, like I'm torn on that, but it worked. And in the moment he does it, and then he looks at the crowd as the crowd is chanting, You you sick fuck. He looks at the camera and he says, Yep. And you can see him mouth the you know, mouth to the camera. And and that stuff is perfect. That stuff is the good stuff. But as you talked about there with the Dawn Callus getting involved, and to me, the other side of that, which hurts this match a lot, was the the table thing. And just it just felt so contrived and it's like the the natural stuff where it was just osprey being osprey and being you know the fucking sack of shit that we all know he is and i just i want him to be that guy at this point because you know it's really hard for me to like will osprey at this point you know me and you quentin have been following him for a long time on top of even on top of the stuff that me and you have been following him and seen him do in real life not even just as a wrestler but like as a person also now over the years getting more and more of the stories of like how annoying he was as a backyard wrestler like even before he was a pro wrestler just how obnoxious he was as a kid like it does make me want to hate him and when he lets that side of his personality out it's perfect but when this the contrived stuff and the stuff that feels like he's forcing it comes in it ruins it and 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 you talked about it, the dawn stuff and all of that was a big part of it but the table spot felt even more part of it because it felt so hard trying to force this narrative of doing, you know, this callback to the table stuff from the first match, where in the first match, the stuff felt natural. Even if it's Kenny Omega 
and he's pulling his faces and he's, you know, he's being twinkle toes as Jim Cornette calls him or whatever the fuck, you know, like Kenny Olivier. I think I just heard that's the new one that, that, uh, Cornette calls him. I love that. Cause it's just like Lawrence Olivier is a fucking was one of the greatest actors of all time. Like it's weird to like use that as a fucking, you know, a put down, but whatever. Um, like that felt natural and made sense. Osprey forcing, trying to do a mirror spot in this match felt contrived. The Don Callis stuff felt forced and contrived. And that was the issue. That's why to me, the first match was better. And I'm just, I'm, I'm completely firmly on that hill. And it's just, it's crazy to me, the amount of people who are saying that this match was better. And this is, you know, the greatest match of all time. Unfortunately, Dave, I know that you're one of them um, saying, you know, it's the best match you've seen live. Um, and I'm I gotta say the live experience probably adds a lot to that too. For sure. For sure. But yeah, I just, I think to me, that stuff just kind of hurt it, hurt it in a big way. Quentin, you broke down the stuff with the Don. Um, definitely heard it in a, in a, in a major way for me. Um, but that said, I mean, the match itself and the natural stuff from Osprey was perfect. The setup, I think this is one of those retrospect things where I get it. I get the storytelling with the Don stuff in the big picture because, because you probably do want to come back at Wimley and you want to do Osprey as a babyface, So you don't want, even though you want him to work heel here. You don't want him to fully commit to someone like Don Callis being in Don's corner. And you do want him to be able to say, no, you know, when I'm in England, when I'm at home, I don't want you in my corner because I don't need you in Canada. I needed you in my corner because I'm in enemy territory and I needed something to overcome, you know, that Kenny's going to have that fifth man in his corner willing him to be a superhuman to the point where he one count kicks out of the one wing angel to the point where he takes the you know the the tiger driver and kicks out because he's got the 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 energy and the power coming from the hometown the home field advantage so i need don in my corner but when i'm in england and i've got the advantage i don't need you and i'm going to be a babyface and he'll be a babyface in england right and then you you know will gets the the third win you tie this up and then we'll moves into the next thing, which is like I've like I've said and like I've predicted that I think we get the Okada Osprey Tokyo Dome match at Wrestle Kingdom and you have Osprey finally beat Okada in the Tokyo Dome, you know, and you do that. And that makes sense to me. Babyface Okada or babyface Osprey beating Okada, who's been turning heel for the past year, finally seems perfect. Right. And that's why, like I said, in context, that makes sense. But I don't judge this match based on my predictions of the future. You judge this match on, on what you saw. And, and I agree with you, Quentin, that in the moment and what we saw here didn't really make sense, you know, and it didn't really, it didn't really work to have the, the callous stuff. And, you know, this is a huge match and it's great, but that's the difference. The first match felt like a one off encapsulated. This is the story. This match this match feels like it's intentionally the second match that's setting up more down the line. And then the third match will probably be the payoff and everything will make sense. And that's kind of it. Um, that said, I guess the question coming out of this, the security, right? We don't know who they were. I think I'm pretty solidly 
in the I think it was Lance Storm and Paul Lazenby. Do you guys have any guesses on who the security was? Uh, I'm not. See, I was thinking how quickly could I come up with Canadian wrestlers off the top of my head, and, I, and, it, and it just didn't come to me. So I, d- I don't have anything for you there. I wasn't quick enough. Uh, right. I actually couldn't tell anything from regarding oh, them yeah. from where I was sitting. So, yeah, from where you're at in the building. Um, I again, I think it did look like it could be them. Um, and the one thing that I did like was that Lance Storm. The one who I think was Lance Storm had a tattoo on his hand, and Lance Storm doesn't have tattoos. So I, I, I would give the nod if that was Lance. I have to give him the nod for getting a fake tattoo on his hand, just to throw people off the scent. But it, I did think it was him. The only, the only thing that makes me question that it's not Lance Storm, is that he didn't have a gigantic bulge. And everyone knows, you know, from two thousands SmackDown that Lance Storm is a well endowed, uh, well endowed gentleman. Um, Follow and the lack up. of dance moves as well. That's true. Uh, follow this up. Trios match. T-shirt Naito. This is the conversation that everyone wants to talk about. The fact that Naito's wearing a t-shirt. Like, do people not know who Naito is? Like, been doing this I'm sorry. For, I'm, I'm, I'm so detached from Twitter at yeah. this point when it comes to wrestling. Naito's been wearing a, been wearing a t-shirt for eight fucking years. Right. It's not it's like been- a... It's, it's not like years. the Kenny Omega thing. Like the Kenny Omega during the G1 where he wore the tights and he did the story with Kojima that you talked about and all that. Like, it's not the same thing. Like, And no, if you fall for it, you're just falling for Naito working you because the whole point is that he's fucking Ingo Bernable. You know, like, he, does, he wears a shirt because it shows that he doesn't care. It's the whole been, point. He's been doing this for eight years. Guy, like, I'm sorry. Like, I refuse to entertain that type of discussion when the guy's been doing it for almost 10 years. <laughs> like yeah. at that point, I just don't know what, like, I don't, I don't know what your comprehension level is for wrestling. If this guy has been doing this for this long and you still have questions about it. Like, I don't really understand that. Yeah. It's just like the gear Eddie. I don't know if you remember that when it was like, if, Oh, I want gear Eddie to show up for the show. And it was like, it was a storyline in AIW. And it's just like, guys, you're getting worked. Like, wrestlers don't like, they don't wear certain stuff. It's the same as the Tony Storm thing. Most wrestlers don't wear things and, and do take off the shirt or don't take off the shirt because of their mood. Like, if they're doing it and it's noticeable, it's a fucking, you're getting worked. Um, That said, like, this is the, the in-between match makes sense in some ways. Um, The Sting stuff, again, Sting getting injured or whatever I felt was overblown. Um, not like on dynamite with that dive. That was, that was actually scary. Um, you know, Jericho's Jericho, everyone in here for the most part, actually, you know, hit their roles pretty well. Again, Jericho just for his entire career is just like a guy who, I don't know. He's just really out of his depth, but he makes it work. I guess it's just been his entire life. He's just like Mr. Bravado. And then everyone just like for the most part it feels like i'm the only person you know now you know we've got our our people like joseph making the music the video and you and me quentin and all this but like for so long it's been like why is this guy like even early on when it was like the um you know the cruiser the good cruiserweights in wcw or even before that like you know the mid cart and ecw like it was always like okay all of this stuff is really good and then there's this guy is here and for some reason they present him like he's part of this group but really he doesn't seem like he fits in you know and it just 
it's continued to go this entire time, even now to the point where it's like, oh, he's this, you know, legend. He's this legendary wrestler who, oh, my God, it's so crazy that him and Sting are finally wrestling. And then you get into it and it's like Sting at his age still feels super important. And Jericho feels like he's just kind of there. But a ton of other people like buy into it and they just go like, yeah, definitely. And they sing the fucking Judas song and they just love this guy. And I just don't I don't get it. But I don't know. Quentin, what do you what do you think about this match? And, uh, you know, you don't have to give your thoughts on Jericho because I feel like we've talked about him enough. I mean, not much to say. This this is like by far, I think, the worst like Sting and Darby match I think I've seen. Uh, and like Minoru Suzuki is fun, but can be but can be limited, but like can be fun in a circumstance. Here. I don't think Minoru Suzuki was necessarily a problem here. Um yeah, I just don't think Dar- I just don't think Sammy and uh, Jericho were that inter- were that interesting here. Like Sammy theoretically could do some stuff, like he could like bump around and sell like crazy for Sting, but like it didn't really feel like we got a ton of that to like kind of like overlook what I thought was just like largely just kind of bleh. And like that could be because you're following Osprey and Omega, and you are in a spot where you're just kind of there and you're not super important, so you're not getting like the super like duper high level stuff even though you're getting like sammy doing the 630 to the floor that sting was supposed to evade but didn't so it's just kind of a funny spot um but yeah you're not really getting anything of 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 super note here because of the context i think and we know how fun the darby and sting uh pairing has been whether it was tags or six mans or whatever that like those sting matches are always a ton of fun and like, I'm not, I didn't expect a ton from this year, but it's a little disappointing to see like Sting's streak of being like the best thing on the show when he gets a chance in there. And, you know, just conveniently, it involves Chris Jericho. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying anything. It just conveniently has Chris Jericho in it, you know? Yeah, I, uh, I definitely appreciate the, the political answer there, Quentin. I don't know why you're, uh, you're trying to get on the talk is Jericho cruise next year or something, but, uh, Dave, what are you? Uh, what did you think about the match? And I'm, I'm sorry, I don't. We don't. We're not. You know, we're not asking you to slander your fellow countrymen here, as you I, know, Jericho might. I, be I do like Chris Treasure, as far as you're concerned. I do like Chris Jericho. wasn't huge in this match. I thought it was. Uh, well, I mean, it suffered from where it was placed on the card, right? Um, that being said, it was made up for last night. But yeah, it just. People were tired by this point. They really wanted to see Danielson and Okada. And people might have been excited at the beginning of the night to have seen this. Not saying it should have been the opener, but they were, it was kind of, uh, yeah, I guess, filler by this point. Or at least yeah. it had to go a certain length, but the fans weren't ready for that, for, for it at that point. Right. And we, I mean, before we start recording, we talked about, me and you were talking about clothes. How do you feel about Naito wearing a shirt um, as a, <laughs> no, I just, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I'll honestly about... say I'm not, I'm not a big, uh, I'm not a big Naito fan. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, I definitely get, you know, people, I get the detractors as much as I get the super fans. I really do. It's kind of a funny trade-off because if we had had John on tonight, he, he's a major Naito fan, but uh 
But okay, what do you think about this? Because you talked about it that this felt like filler. The crowd was ready for Danielson Okada. Everyone, a lot of people kind of reported like, oh, the crowd is so dead. They got killed by um, Osprey Omega. Osprey Omega should have been in the main event. But what do you think would have happened if instead of having this match in between, they had gone straight to Okada Danielson? Do you think, do you think the crowd was actually killed by Osprey Omega? Or do you think that this match, having this buffer, allowed oh. the crowd to have an adrenaline drop that, that is what led to the main event I mean, having to try to bring them back? I think it accomplished that. I think it did at the cost of this match. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I don't completely follow what you were what you meant. Uh, I think it accomplished like having that adrenaline drop. I think okay. it did help Danielson Okada. I don't think it helped this match. Okay. So you do think that like it was good to have an adrenaline drop in this match? Because I honestly think the opposite. And I think that keeping the crowd going would have been better than letting them drop off. It's kind of my point. That like once you hit a peak, like a lot of wrestling shows are booked now, especially in WWE, where it's like, oh, when you hit like this big peak, then you bring it down. And then you go to the next. And I just think, no, like, I think it's harder to get back up than it is to stay up. So if the crowd is up high, keep it rolling instead of bringing them down. And maybe I'm crazy there, but that's just what I think. I think that's fair, too. And I think uh, in, like, big New Japan shows, you see the back-to-back great matches. And that probably would have worked here, too. Yeah. But but we've talked about it enough. We've danced around it enough. Let's talk about the main event. Dave, do you want to start out with your thoughts on Danielson Okada? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think, I mean, even in the building, I think I heard some people be disappointed in it. Uh, it was just a very different vibe from Osprey and Omega, but I thought it was, I, I love this match. And I actually think on rewatch, knowing what actually happened will make the match benefit. And just in terms of, you know, I think one thing everyone can agree is maybe it wasn't smart to continue the match with Danielson, but it sure does make him a badass. So, and it's impressive in its way. So I think, uh, I think it will actually add to star ratings, appreciation, whatever you want to say of the match, knowing that he finished it the way he did and that he actually acted creatively at a time that he had to. Uh, yeah. The, I, I, oh, good. Oh, sorry. And I, I think oh. the crowd, a lot of the crowd did appreciate the match. I don't think it needed to go longer. And uh, I, I loved it. Can't wait to watch it again. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I thought you were done. I did not want to jump in, but I was just going in because I thought you were over. Um, All good. Uh, although you, I said I thought you were over. You're definitely over when it comes to being on this podcast. Um, But uh, yeah, I important. agree with you, That's especially I'll, I'll, I'll because of... <laughs> Especially because I did rewatch it. And on the second watch, like, it's insanely impressive when you see not just, I mean, how relatively, because it's about midway through where the, the arm break happens. um, Like, not just how long Danielson goes, but the level of what he does and how he deals with it. And obviously, like, you know, there's the, the, uh, the the convulsing selling thing which is interesting because he kind of teased that before like that's another part of like re-watching it that kind of you pick up on because a lot of people and you know even danielson in the moment in the scrum talking about it kind of like 
talked about that like the convulsion stuff was was selling to save some moments but he started teasing that even before the spot where supposedly he broke his arm so that was definitely like planned and that was part of the or at least was supposed to be part of the story of the match um but like something like doing the yes the yes kick thing which was definitely not something he wanted to do but did in the moment to get into it and and I absolutely adored the finish and just thought it was perfect. I think my only issue with it was just, um, I guess, kind of how it felt. It was not perfect. And I think that a part of that was probably a communication barrier situation. Um, because I think that the the way that it was done kind of speaks to the best of Daniel, you know, Brian Danielson. Um in the kind of like just doing stuff until it until the match is over and i love that i love when it doesn't feel the same way that every other wrestling match feels where it's like building to the finish and 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 how that works where it's like he's just kind of again i guess the best way to describe the danielson thing is like he just does stuff until he wins and that was kind of the perfect way to do it it's kind of at the peak of Zack Sabre Jr. was kind of doing the, in a lot of ways, doing like the Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson tribute act where it's like, yeah, you're just like just doing stuff until it's over. And it's, and like, there was something to like at the peak of Sabre that really worked and that. I think you didn't see it here because again, it's been so long since you've seen like kind of Danielson do that. And also again, like I said, the communication barrier and doing it on the fly where it didn't feel as smooth. Um, but that said, yeah, like this, this was definitely a rewatcher, like in the moment, um, didn't quite hit the highs that you were hoping for or that you were predicting, but again, rewatch and really delving into it and then knowing about the injury and all that, like really, really added to it. Um, it's the third time he's done something like this in his career. When you look back at the. 2006 match with uh, Cabana that he tore his shoulder not too far into and still did a one hour match. I mean, as if it's not hard enough trying to do a match with Cabana. I, mean, I actually like Cabana. But, uh, and then in 2007, it happened again with Morishima. So, and he gutted out that match when he broke his orbital ball. Like this, this guy got some Hokuto level stuff going on. I mean, you know, that's a great comparison because two of the greatest of all time. I mean, Quentin and me both are very firmly Danielson is the greatest of all time. Um, and this is a match that really, really speaks to that. But Quentin, what were your kind of what were your thoughts on this? I guess I'm a little apart from you guys because like I think it was hard for me to kind of like take away like my disappointment and sadness about the situation to like really like appreciate because like, what he did was incredible to sit there and wrestle with one arm basically I, w- I was watching the match trying to see when did the break happen and i'm not sure if you guys know where that or that's been made public but i was like watching like the missile drop kick and i'm like did it happen there when did the break happen and i just couldn't really it, tell it happened um, when okada came off the top rope with an elbow okay yeah okay all right so i was i've been watching just trying to see like when the break was ha- like when the break when the break happened and yeah, like what he did was in- incredible, and I do hope that when Danielson's all recovered, maybe they do a special New Japan in America or something, and 
they get to revisit this match because I do think there's a really, really good version of this still. Like some people are like, oh, I mean, maybe it could be Okada. Okada is not super interesting right now. Like, it's, it's Brian Danielson. Like Brian Danielson will make a way to do that, to figure it out. Like what is the best possible way for him and Okada to have a match, to have a great match together? And maybe their great match isn't the special attraction dream match scenario. Like maybe the best Danielson Okada is in a different context with a different set of things going on. Like maybe the best Danielson Okada that we see could come off of like having history and being able to play off stuff and having callbacks and things to build off of. Right. So maybe it's, that, you broke my arm, you prick. Yeah. Seriously, you know? Yeah. Like I think that, I think that there, there is a still a really good Danielson Okada match there. Um, I think I just couldn't get over my disappointment there. Cause like, you know, like we had seen Danielson talk about all the, all this stuff for years about wanting to go to New Japan and do the, do all this stuff, and we finally got another one of these big matches. Like the Minoru Suzuki thing was cool, but we finally got one of these bigger ones, one of these big one of these big names here, and like what we got was still good, and it's a testament to just Brian's dedication to professional wrestling. But it's like, man, fuck, like we finally got here and he breaks his arm like that, like that shit sucks. So like, I like, I'm in awe of the fact that he still finished that match and wrestled for as long as he did, with a broken arm like that is some insane shit that he did. Um, it just, it just sucks though. And like, maybe I'll have to rewatch it again and do that. So maybe get a full, to get a full grasp and appreciation. But right now I'm so a little disappointed by it. Uh, I will say the final countdown moment was really fucking awesome. I loved that so much. And one thing that Tony Khan really is good with is making music feel special when they when he does do those slight changes to themes and things like that. He has a really good knack for when to bust stuff like that or stuff like that out. Or it could have been Danielson's idea, who knows? But that was that was really good there. So I love I loved that. And that was a special moment to see that everybody everybody knew it. You know, like there's 20,000 people in there and they all know of Ring of Honor, but they might not have seen a Brian Danielson Ring of Honor match. But a lot of them knew Final Countdown. A lot of them knew that that was his theme. A lot of them knew that. And to see the reaction that that got to like, even like in a similar way, like when, when Punk came out to uh, Miseria Cantare. Like when you see those nods back to ROH, it it really is cool because who would have thought that uh like like a like a big mainstream wrestling audience in 2023 would be aware enough or savvy enough to know about what CM Punk's old Ring of Honor theme was, or Brian Danielson's is a diff- it's a different case because it's a bigger song, but like what Brian Danielson's ROH theme was. So I do really, I I find joy in the legacy and impact that Ring of Honor has had on wrestling in the way that AEW leans into it because getting stuff like the final countdown here and Punk's entrance into the dog collar match with MJF really does warm my heart because it's it's nice to see Ring of Honor represented on on a big level. I just want to say I completely agree with you as well. And having gone to Ring of Honor back in that era quite a bit, uh, this really just felt full circle for me. And what was really cool to me is like the trend setting of those years has now paid off. 
Yeah. And, um, and you know, <laughs> Quentin, you mentioned it there, and I don't want to take away anything from what you said. Um, obviously, I just, you know me, I just love to talk about this. And, and Dave, I agree with you. As I didn't go to any of the peak ROH shows, but I was watching all of them on the West Coast. It was so hard to, I did, I was not going to travel, you know, to the East Coast to go to any of those shows. And I, I did go to, you know, ROH ones that they were coming out here um, every now and then. I, I've been to a few ROH shows on the West Coast and all that. But, um, but the one thing, and I have to say, like, is was it Tony, you know, <laughs> talk about the best parts of Tony. Was it Tony kind of like working? Because the story was always, as far as I remember, that the problem with the final countdown was basically it was like a million dollars, like one million dollars. Not I'm not like exaggerating. This is not Dr. Evil, but that was how much it costs to get the rights to play it. Um, right. But. Within the past couple of days, it was like, okay, the guy who the original composer from the band sold the rights to a media conglomerate group. And then a couple of days later, they played it here. And Tony said on the press conference, like, it costs as much as signing a wrestler to have the song here on the show for one time. A million dollars is like a big wrestling contract, like a big wrestling contract. But I guess, you know, 100000 could be a small wrestler contract, right? Or like a, you know, medium wrestler contract. So when he said, like, it's the cost of a wrestler contract, do you think that he was just using that as, like, he was kind of exaggerating because he wasn't talking about, like, it was not, you know, a million dollars anymore. It was less. But it could still be quite a bit. Like, what do you, uh, what do you, what do you think about, like, was Tony working a little bit with how ex- expensive it was? Uh, I mean, no, I, I, I like, I believe that, that I, I believe that. I mean, I have no reason not to. I don't know what, how, like, what, like, how much it cost, like, uh, Miseria Contare, uh, costed sure. him, but you know, with it being final, well, with it being final countdown, like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. Yes, I believe that. Yeah. No reason. AFI, so. I know AFI is cheaper because I know I've actually, like, read interviews heard people talk directly to like davy havoc and and the afi people and they don't charge like a ton for the rights and they actually knew punk when he was first using that in roh they were like you know friendly with him so i'm sure that that was much cheaper um europe was always expensive but i just i do wonder if not to say working, but if with Tony was being a little bit shady in the way that he said, oh, it's like a wrestler contract. If like, you know, he's not talking, he's talking about an ROH wrestler. He's not talking about a main eventer, but yeah, I don't think he's like saying like, oh, this is like, it's, it's the same amount of money that I pay hangman page. Like, right. Right. Like, I, don't think, I don't think it's anything like that. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I th- that's my that, well, that was kind of my point. Where it's just like he said a wrestler contract, then I saw someone be like, instead of signing Edge, you know, Tony bought like Final Countdown, and I'm like, I don't think it was no, Edge. No, if a, a, a wrestler contract would probably be like fucking like Evil Uno, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that exactly. makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Doctor Evil Uno. Yeah, exactly. Um. But yeah, um, again, there was like there was some stuff in here to nitpick. But what's the point? Um, 
I I could definitely see another one of these, and I think that it would be very good for them to do this match again. Um, Absolutely. I just, I, I just, I also hope Okada signed uh, Danielson's cast. Yeah, he better have. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know. Um, do we want to? Is there any other big things that were stand out that you want to mention from Dynamite? Um, I do have one question, Dave, in the building. On Dynamite that you were at, did you were you did you actually see the videos and the backstage stuff in the crowd? A little bit of it. I I I think I think we saw all of it actually. Okay. Because yeah, I've, I talked about it in the past, but when I went to Dynamite one time in L.A., the one time that they did Dynamite in L.A., um, we didn't see any of the backstage stuff. Oh uh, yeah, we saw MJF and Adam Cole and stuff like that. Okay, yeah, we saw that. So. Okay, that was pretty cool. I I did like and, uh, the Adam Cole I re- MJF stuff. I really liked uh, Jack Perry like running into the running into the vehicle like that. I thought that was a good visual. Yeah. That was that was a solid one. Yeah, yeah. But the, the um, I really li- oh. I really liked the trios with uh, the not not. I mean, I I I like the one with the elite, but I'm thinking of the Cassidy Vikingo and Lee against Daniel Garcia, oh, yeah. and yeah, I thought that was great. And yeah, uh, the tornado match was a lot of fun too. My brother is favorite wrestler growing up. I went with my brother in Hamilton, uh, who's a lapsed fan. Uh, he grew up watching it, and his favorite wrestler was Sting. They had the same birthday. It was it's kind of always a bit of joke, but uh, so when I texted him, he actually told his wife he was actually excited about it, and uh, so that was pretty cool to see that. And uh, yeah, funny enough, my brother. Is not a fan, but he likes going to things to be entertained by. He's more of a music guy into punk and metal, right? But he uh, he went to this with me, and he's been to Arena Mexico twice. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned that, and I was like slightly jealous. I've been to Arena Mexico only a, you know a handful of times, but you know still. Yeah, yeah. Well, he went to he, um, the night you went there. There's two hair two hair matches as well. With uh, when one was Maximo versus Roosh. Ooh. And they just yeah. randomly showed up there on a Friday. They just happened to be in Mexico at the time and went on a lark, right? So Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um well I think I think we're uh wrapping it up. Quentin, do you have any other things you want to hit before we head out? Uh nope. I think we're good here. Uh Dave, uh, as always, uh thank you so much for joint for joining us here. Uh, this evening, yeah. oh, love to come on again soon. Oh yeah, we can we can we can definitely make we can definitely make that happen. You're always welcome here, but uh, just in Wait, case the people hold on what? before we close out. Okay, so we were talking about Psycho Mike earlier, and yeah, like, and that he did a tour in England. I was looking something up. Do you remember when Ricky Starks did one tour of DDT? Yes. Yes, Psycho Mike was the guy who kept tagging with. Ricky Starks during that tour. So Psycho Mike did a tour of DDT. Oh, tagging with Ricky Starks. Do you remember that guy? Yeah, yeah, that was Psycho Mike. This is fucking crazy because I'm looking at uh, All Out and Higuchi versus Psycho Mike and Starks and uh, Yoshimura. Yoshimura. This is like crazy. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, that's that guy. Yeah, that's so Psycho real, Mike has done a lot of stuff, but yeah, that's a real who this guy is. That's a real unlocked memory for me. Wow. Okay. Uh, here, here's another one. Do you remember the Wrestling Retribution Project by Jeff Katz? Yes. Yeah, yeah. He was yeah. in that too. 
Jesus Christ. Yeah, see, this guy was on everything, man. Like <laughs> Psycho Mike, people act like they don't know who he is, but he's wrestled Dan Macabe and he also tagged with uh Ricky Starks against uh He wrestled Katasada Haguchi. Haguchi, he wrestled uh Asuka Venny. Venny, like he's wrestled everybody. Yeah, this guy's he's uh, uh he's probably something else. Anyways, Quentin, <laughs> feel free to close it out. I'm sorry for yeah, you're, interrupting. Uh, but Dave, if you wanna Plug your tw- plug your Twitter so people can know where to uh, follow follow you or where people could keep up with the greatest match ever project. If I don't know if they started like uh, releasing uh, like the preliminary stuff with the matches that didn't make the one hundred yet, but where can people follow you and where pe- can, where can people read up on the greatest match ever? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Puropotsy, which is P U R O P O T S Y. Uh, the greatest match. Just Google GME project and you'll find the message board. Uh, the deadline is tomorrow for the for the ballots. So uh, hopefully in the next few days we'll start seeing the tabulations come out. And I keep telling myself I'm going to do more writing and podcasting, uh, and maybe that'll happen. And I'll plug it on here when I'm actually have something to plug. Yeah, that sounds like a plan. Everyone plans on writing and podcasting, and then this life happens. Yeah, I'm in the same boat with that one. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at QT underscore Moody. You can follow Tim at Bone Dog. You saying Bone Dog's wife? ROH Dutch. Has that been Bone Dog's wife for a while? You can follow Tim at ROH Dutch. You can follow the podcast network at WDKWPN. You're feeling so kind, so you can donate to us on coffee. And I I, I don't know what what song do you want to do, do you want Tony Khan to buy next, uh, Tim? <laughs> Um. Oh, geez. He needs to buy. Um. Oh, God. What was the? What was that really bad song that? Uh. I think it was. It wasn't personal Jesus, but that's all I'm. Uh. It was the. Oh, God. Damn it. It was the one that Sammy Guevara used. The one that goes, "I am Jesus." Oh, you know Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's the one he needs to buy next. Um, okay. Yeah. The. We'll, we'll I think we'll it's get, the Killers. Uh, it might be. It might be the Killers. Actually. What about? What would I believe? I can fly. It's probably an R. Kelly, uh, <laughs> yeah, that'd be R. Kelly for, clearance sale. Yeah, that'd that'd be yeah. I can't, I can't, for, I can't imagine. Now. I can't imagine the rights for that are going. Uh, yeah, are, go, are, are, are going uh, super expensive right now. But thank you all for listening, and hope you hear next time. Yeah.